At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. All right, so everyone who said I had low energy yesterday, well, it's because I was missing my dear, dear friend. But now he's back, so we're all good. So, Aaron, you were in the Big Easy? New Orleans, yep. Is it New Orleans? Is it New Orleans? How, what is the correct pronunciation? How are we supposed to pronounce it? I say New Orleans, but I think a lot of people down there say New Orleans. They do? Um, yeah. Oh, I always thought that was wrong. No. Um, but yeah, it's just whatever you want. I mean, you speak to someone down there with a deep Creole accent. Yeah, I might say New Orleans or whatever. Mm. But uh, yeah, funny story, actually. So my buddy that uh, we were, my, my buddy that I was visiting down there, mm. he works for the Pelicans. Ooh, basketball team. Guess who the Pelicans are playing tonight? I'm guessing the Pistons. In Detroit. And in guess De- where my friend is? In Detroit. Yeah. So you both, so you went down to see him. Yeah. And you, and to be clear, you did see him. Yes. Okay. And now you both came back. Yeah. Interesting. All right. But it was a little, because we had other buddies that came down too. And, uh, you know, we've, we've got some other friends that live down there. But it, it, it kind of got screwed up a little bit because the way the NBA schedule had to get moved around when they missed games from COVID, he ended up having two games Friday and Saturday with the Pelicans. Oh, man. Instead of he was supposed to just have like one night, but either way, All right. great I, weekend. I've never been. Wait, Mar- you, you didn't go for Mardi Gras? That didn't happen yet, right? No, Mardi Gras in like two or three weeks. Okay. I've been for Mardi Gras. Okay, I've never been to New to New Orleans or Not Louisiana. Not going. Uh, you know who has the second biggest Mardi Gras celebration in the country though? San Luis. Yep. Uh, just a guess. Just right up the Mississippi. Just a guess. Cool. All right. So you had a good time. Get a good trip. Yeah. All right. Uh, I la- when I landed, I landed in New Orleans Friday night to the news that like Tom Brady was officially retiring. So I like. Well, no, it wasn't official until like an hour ago. I know. It was like, <laughs> well, it went from it went from like it was announced on Thursday, and then it was like announced officially on Friday. Then it yeah. was like, wait, might not be official. And I was I was actually very hopeful that he was going to end up coming back. And that was like a 180 because I always hated Tom Brady growing up. But then once it was. Uh, once it was time to go. You don't know what you've got till it's gone. Exactly. Pave paradise. Put up a parking lot. Um, awesome. Well, we are glad to have you back. We missed you. You missed a lot, man. In one day. Uh, what did like, I what did I miss yesterday? I mean, yesterday the market just ripped. I was and, I was I was playing the market ripping yesterday. Oh, you were playing the market ripping. Yeah. Oh do you wanna you want to share with us what you were playing a little bit? Sure, I will. yeah, I will. Well, I see you. Awesome. I saw you've got something teased up, so let's get to that, and then I'll and then I'll I'll, sh- I'll show my portfolio, show how you, show right, y'all how I right, played the. Right. Uh, this was a really good uh, table that I, I saw from uh, Bespoke Investment Group. They do some very very good research, uh, and this is the kind of stuff that I'm a fan of, right? And I'll make it bigger. I think it's a little might be a little bit hard to see. Um, I, I'm a big fan of like, you know macro-y overall market analysis. I, I, sometimes I, I, you know, we get too bogged down in talking individual stocks, and but I do like just knowing the sectors, knowing the indexes, knowing different asset classes, and seeing how they're performing against each other. So this table shows all the major asset classes. Um, the right, the, the right column um, here, where my mouse is, like where it says January, that's the whole month of January. The middle column is just the last week of the month, and the right left column is the last two days of the month. And I just and it's color coded, so it's easy to read. 
And like this is the kind of chart that I can just look at for like a half hour and just stare at it. Uh, what was green? What was red uh, last month? Who were the winners? Who, who were the losers? And the answer is uh, there weren't that many winners, right? Obviously, uh, you see Natty Gas had a really good month, right? Natural Gas um, closed up uh, 36. This is the UNG ETF. Closed up 36% in January. Uh, Brazil, the Brazil ETF, EWZ, randomly up 12.5%, had a really good month as well. Uh, oil had a great month, up almost 15%. Energy, same thing, right? The XLE. Um, so you had some winners, but, but not a lot. And on the losers front, you had a you had a handful of those as well. Ethereum down big, Bitcoin down big. You know we all know this by now if you watch the show every day. But the big story to me was that there was just a lot of things that were that were up a little or down a little. And when I say a little, you know, I guess like there's a lot of yellow on here. Like um, every sector, for example, every single sector closed down, uh, with the exception of energy, which we talked about, and banks, which. Barely closed up 0.03%, um, which basically counts as flat. But then you've got, you know, healthcare down 6%, industrials down almost 5%, materials down 6 technology down 6 communication services down almost 5 utilities down 3 and a quarter, right? Uh, staples down one and a half, discretionary down almost 10 So it was just a broad-based, weak market in January. Now, however, what you missed yesterday, Aaron... Yes. Was the best two day close for the NASDAQ, best two day, um, um, two day close to a month for the NASDAQ since October of 1987. Wow. NASDAQ had its best last two days of a month in, uh, what, what is that, 30, 35 years? 35 years. Um, so that's. It's sort of like, like a tale of two markets, right? On the one hand, you had the first uh, 29 days of the month, which were pretty bad for almost everyone not named energy and not named, and not named oil and natural gas. And then the last two days of the month, which were good for almost everybody except for silver and, and bonds, right? Um, so anyway, this is the kind of chart that I could stare at for a half hour just to get a sense for where things are. Um, and I wanted to share it with you all because I thought it was really cool. And shout out to Bespoke for their amazing research um, because this shows what happened. Who won, who lost. Most everybody lost unless you were like all in on energy. Now, what does this mean going forward? Ah, who the heck knows? But uh, we talk a lot about value versus growth. You see value did outperform, right? The S&P 500 value um, only down 1.6% compared to the S&P 500 growth, which was down 8.4%, okay? Um, so, the, so, you know, there are pockets of our performance. Uh, the, dividend, the, the Dow Jones dividend ETF did okay, DVY. Um, what else did okay here? Um, oh, guys, look at the Russell. The, so these are all the major indexes, the top left screen, top left part of the screen, all the major indexes, right? Who was the worst performer? It was the Russell, the Russell 2000, IWM down nine and a half percent last month. Worse than the Nasdaq. Hey. So anyway, I thought this is cool, and I want to show it with y'all because 
this is this is it. This is where the market is. You know, we're, we're looking U.S. on the left, global on the right. Um, for the last mm, 12 years, 13, 14 years now, the U.S. has dramatically outperformed um, the rest of the world. Uh, the U.S. stock market has dramatically outperformed the rest of the world. Uh, that that was not really the case in January, right? You could look at the S&P down 5% and look at this top right now. The, the U.S. actually lagged China. We lagged Europe. We definitely lagged Brazil. Uh, the only market that the U.S. outperformed in January, frankly, was um, Australia. And, uh, well, I guess th th there's multiple China um, ETFs here. It outperformed one China ETF, and it outperformed Russia. But the rest of the world beat the U.S. last month. So interesting interesting change there. Um, I have no idea why Brazil had the month that it did. If anyone knows more about that, let me know in the chat. But a lot of good takeaways from this. A lot of good takeaways from this data. So uh, where do you find this info? Zachary, great question. Um, so first thing I would recommend to do is follow. This is just a free plug. Uh, their name is Bespoke Investment Group. I'll, uh, let me show you on 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 the screen. I'll, I'll bring up their, their Twitter account so you can see. Um, this is where I would. This is where they put like their you know free stuff, right? Uh, they are a Wall Street research firm, which means they charge a lot of money for their research. Um, let me find. It. Let me get on their Twitter right now. They're on Twitter at Bespoke Invest. Let me just just share my screen. And you can see where they are. I would give them a follow. Free plug. They don't they don't know me at all, right? <laughs> um, but at B, here it's at Bespoke Invest on Twitter. Give them a follow. They, they post a lot of screenshots that I like, right? So there you go. Check it out. Free plug for Bespoke. We should get them on the show. Let's do it. We should definitely get them on the show. Um, Jay Rice, comparing one month is not meaningless. I, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it does. it's not the end-all, be-all, but one month is not meaningless. That's what, that's what we've got for the year. Yeah, and the whole so that's the whole point. The, the data does, does not go back. The, the data that I was showing doesn't go back to you know 12 months. It only goes back one month, and that's fine. That's where we are right now. Um, so no, I, I, I would, I would disagree with that statement that one month is meaningless. Um, yeah, the context is important, right? It was a 21, was a great year, but we're not in that anymore. Uh, investing, swing trading and day trading wants to know what happened to Neil. Neil, uh, went, uh, back to his, his real job as Benzinga's head of marketing <laughs> is the, is, is the answer to that question. Um, so Neil is still around. But uh, we've gotten a lot of feedback to get Neil on the show. We we are doing our best to get Neil back on the show. But he has a real job. Unlike Aaron and I, our job is to hang out with you all every day. Um, Neil has a real job. So, okay. I don't know where David Green is. I hope he's okay. You know he's supposed to join us. He usually does every Tuesday. So let's see if we can get see see if David is. Yeah, I shot him a text. I haven't heard back yet. I'll let you know. Oh, all right. Uh, I should preview the rest of the day. Well, let's let's do that. So, um, David Green comes on. If he does, great. 
If not, that's okay too. Uh, we're going to be joined at 1215 by Sylvia Wolf, the president and CEO of Aqua Bounty Technologies. Ticker is AQB, talking about sustainability um, and food supply chains. Uh, we're going to have uh, Robert Roy on at 1245, com, my favorite website URL. Uh, and at 1.30, a new guest, Jay Pestricelli. He is the CEO of Zega Financial. He's got some, uh, some, some thoughts on this market as well. They've got an ETF, uh, ZHDG. Um, it's an actively managed hedging ETF. Nothing to do with zero hedge. Um, though they stole their ticker. Uh, so we'll have Jay on at 1.30, and he'll give us his, his thoughts on the market, where we are, where we're going how he's positioning himself and his clients um, going forward here. Uh, and that's that's the rundown for uh, Benzinga Live today. However, after Benzinga Live, we have um, a very exciting guest uh, on the roadmap today. And I'm going to bring up a, a graphic as soon as I can find. There I am. Um, 2 p.m. today, Eastern Time, right after this show, on the roadmap, we are talking to someone who I think he owns 35 yeah. board apes. It's something like that. 36, maybe? 36. He He's one of the largest holders of Board Ape Yacht Club. Um, this guy, I frankly, I don't even, how much money, how much is that even worth? A lot of, mo- a lot of money. Millions. Got to be millions. A lot right? of money is the point. Okay. So 2 p.m. Eastern Time, right here after this show is ending, we'll redirect to the roadmap. We're talking to a top 11 board at Yacht Club holder, uh, somebody who has far more money than we do. Um, hey, Elite Trading in the house. Jesse, congratulations, my man. I owe, I owe Jesse 10 bucks. I told him I'd give him 10 bucks at the Bengals one. Yeah, he texted me I, last uh, on Sunday. I don't know how drunk he was, but uh, he was very happy. Jesse, <laughs> can't wait to have him on the show this week. You're welcome, by the way. I was trying to reverse jinx the uh, Chiefs saying that the Bengals had no shot, so I guess it worked out. All right. Uh, a couple of things that, that that we'll do that are on my list here. Um, first is, did you see this news, this, this midday M&A news from uh, SeaWorld that just, they just came out a few moments ago? I thought you were going to say midday M&A news, New York Times bought Wordle. That was from yesterday. We, we can talk about that. You want to talk about that? Yeah. The New York Times paid. So uh, imagine this. Imagine you are a, a developer, um, and you're you know living in New York City, in Brooklyn, and you know for just for fun, you build your wife a word game. Was well, it a UK? No, no, he's in Brooklyn. Oh, okay, but it's on a UK website for some reason. Yeah, I don't know. But just for fun, you build your wife like, like a word game because your wife likes word games, and you show it to your friends, and then you make it public, and it goes completely viral. And three months later. You sell that game for seven figures. That's what this guy did. I know. When I saw low seven figures on the thing, it almost felt like a low ball, the word. I mean, it's so big. Like, millions of people are playing it every single day. I don't, I don't know if it's actually that millions. I don't know. I would venture to say millions of people are playing it every day. I have no clue, though. Uh, the, the article said it was like six figures. People that play it that daily. Play, that play it daily. Okay. So, yeah. Anyway, um... I played Wordle yesterday on the show. For, I haven't done that for a while. Uh, nailed it. But, yeah, New York Times buying Wordle. So if you own uh, New York Times, 
New York Times is on a spending spree. I realized I... Uh, they I, bought The Athletic. They bought Wordle. Yeah, they must have some money in the bank. I, I, I kind of screwed up my stats on Wordle because I play like on my laptop sometimes, phone sometimes. Yeah. When I play on my phone, I just keep my phone in like incognito mode on the on the safari okay what does that do i don't know but it doesn't save your like history or anything so every single time i play wordle on my phone it, it just says like streak one you know whatever so i'd be curious to see my like real stats of how many times i've played it on there but who uh, knows i don't know all right um i wanted to go to this other mna news from like a few minutes ago uh sea world aaron is reportedly in talks to buy cedar point what Let's go to a news feed. Let's go to Benzinga Pro. We'll search for ticker S-E-A-S. That's the SeaWorld news feed. Um, yeah, so Cedar Fair shares sea volume. SeaWorld set to make a $3.4 billion takeover offer. This was uh, about 40 minutes ago. Uh, so let's go to the chart, and we will overlay ticker S-E-A-S and ticker F-U-N. And there we go. Uh, we'll zoom in here. We'll go to a one-minute chart because, you know, we can. Um, oh, earlier when you said fun is up, I thought you were talking about funware. No, the other fun. But Sorry. funware is also up. We, 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 can, we can go there. But let's finish. Yeah, let's finish. Anyway, SeaWorld to buy Cedar Point. Let, let's do some quick math here at the top of our head. So, well, wait, wait well, what did they say? 3.4 $3. billion. Okay, and we're, we're talking about fun, so let's go to fun. $3.4 billion. Um, this market cap um, data is, is not updated in real time, which is why it's good for the purposes of this. So we have a market cap of $2.8 billion. That's probably as of the open. Uh, so $3.4 billion to two, to, uh, to, uh, from $2.8 billion. All right, so we're talking about like a, a little premium on this thing. Uh, out of curiosity... What is the Sea World market cap? Four point six billion. This is a very big deal for Sea World. They're buying a company that's basically like two, like uh, what, uh, two thirds the size of their company. This is a very, this is a very large deal for a company of Sea World size. Anyway, ticker SEAS. Why is my chart? Why, why is my chart dying? Oh boy. Let's go charts. You can do it. Oh, my charts just died. Let's refresh it. I got logged out. Wait, Kings Island is that? Is that a different? I've heard of Kings Island. Is that a different? Uh, it's a different company, right? I think so. Okay, let's go to back to fun. There we go. Go to a daily. I, I am. It's under the same parent. Thank you. Uh, all right. So Cedar Point. Cedar Point owns Kings Island. I just got 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 uh, clarification. I've never been to Cedar Point. Um, I'm I plan on going this spring or summer, but I've never been to this amusement park. And shout out to Sinetsky, Ohio. This is a reopening play. They never never got back to where it was pre-COVID. I mean, now it is that they're getting taken out, potentially. Not confirmed. Just a report. Um, and what about SeaWorld? SeaWorld, wow. Have, have you noticed that? Look no. At, look at that SeaWorld chart. Let's go to a weekly. Look at that SeaWorld chart. Holy moly. I don't think, I think I knew that it, it had um, breached its level, pre-COVID level, but I didn't know it realized it was by this much. 
pre-COVID, SeaWorld was was so it, it, the stock doubled from its pre-COVID level. Wow. I've never been to SeaWorld either, so I can't speak to the uh, either of these parks. I don't know if you've been either of them. Probably not. No. Um, I, I only know the only thing I know about SeaWorld was that Blackfish documentary that that, that I watched and. Um, Last time I looked at the SeaWorld chart, I tried to see if you could go back and see if the stock dropped when that movie came out. I, well, I think it. Yeah, they had. Well, no, that may have been before the. Uh, it may have been before the stock was public. Um, I think it might have been right around 2014. I guess we could do a quick. What's it called um, Blackfin? Uh, Blackfish, I think. All right. So should we arrange a Benzinga trip to Cedar Point? We can do that. Yeah, I, I know. Happy. It, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Because there was like all that backlash against SeaWorld. Um, wait, Melanie wants to know if Baba reported today. No, they were supposed to report. Today was the initial date that was put out. Uh, like it was on the NASDAQ website and everything. Really? Yeah. But it was that. just an estimated uh, just an estimated date. I don't know how that works. They put out an estimated reporting date? No, no. So what happens is a lot of companies like Benzinga, for example, will go back and look at at Alibaba's historical reporting dates based on this this time in the last several years, and they'll do an approximate um, date. And that's like an estimate, but until it's confirmed by the company, you don't really know. Got it. So, yeah, today was the day that a lot of places had as the estimated date, but then I think they actually are reporting February 11th. I, I screwed that up yesterday, so... Um, yeah, I thought Baba was still reporting this week as well. Um, anyway, so I'll be going, uh, this is going to be a, uh, amusement park year for me. Cause I'm going to Cedar point some point in the spring or summer. I also uh, have a wedding in colonial Williamsburg, Virginia in August. So I'll be going to Bush gardens, which I believe is not, is not public. Uh, but, um, yeah, I, I will be ready to give my amusement park reviews. After that, are you a big roller coaster guy? I do like roller coasters. Yes, really? I, I. My thing is, I don't like waiting on lines though. Got it. I, I, I would rather not go on a roller coaster than go and wait four hours. But I do like them very much. Um, so you just need you need like the the Six Flags fast pass. Oh yeah, I, I need like the I need the fast pass for sure. Hey, speaking of Six Flags, how's that doing? That sh that should be moving off this right. It's not every day you get M and A in the amusement park space. Yeah, it's moving. It's moving. All right. What does this mean for Mount MTN Vail Resorts? That's what I want to know. Oh, yeah, we, we all know that's. Oh, that would have been so interesting if 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 Vail moved off this and and you actually had those calls or something like yeah. that. Um, no, they're not moving off this. Um, there really aren't many names in the uh, in the amusement park space. Uh, no, <laughs> nothing of interest. Anyway, um, okay, so that was that was fun. Let's talk about. What, what else was on my list here? I had a whole list of things to talk about. <laughs> We're going to have our guest on in 20 minutes. But, um, all right, let's talk about DWAC. Well, do we know why DWAC is up today, everyone? I, I'm not, that's not rhetorical. No, I, but DWAC, DWAC and Funware are both up. I, I feel like they, they tend to kind of trade together when one's up, the other one's up. Um, but yeah, but DWAC, there, must, there if, must have been a headline because look at the chart, though. If right. DWAC keeps going up, it makes uh, our our guest from last Friday. It makes Enrique's idea more enticing to me. The idea of buying mm. like a long dated, uh, you know, like ten dollar put or something on DWAC. The more it goes up, 
you know, the more potential you have for that, like, big flash crash in the stock. So, actually, interestingly enough, the, the $10 put that expires in June is up today. Yeah, if you missed if you missed uh, Friday's show, uh, we had a guest that threw out a trade idea of buying uh, way out of the money uh, leaps on DWAC, playing it for the catastrophic crash. Should the deal go fall through for whatever reason? Because if the deal falls through, it's going back to to, to nine. What like nine nine fifty nine seven somewhere yeah in, like right? a day so that right. was his point was that the volatility of that move intrinsically intrinsically raises the value of those put contracts so not only do you get that move in the right direction but you get that huge volatility increase and and you don't have a lot of opportunities like that in the market it's where you can play puts on a stock that really truly has potential of crashing. 50 60 percent in a single day because it's on this binary event right when we went back to to gamestop amc even though a lot of people bought puts knowing okay th this has to come back down to earth this has to go down a lot of them lost money on those puts because the volatility wasn't great um, yeah. so the difference here would be that this move would happen in in one day as opposed to kind of drawn out over the span of a couple months all right so this dwac and funds moving with it it must have been something uh, AMC, which pre-reported earnings this morning, Aaron, AMC was so excited for their amazing quarter that they pre-reported ahead of time. Uh, and it, it, it popped and it gave back almost all its gains, and now it's up again. Um, so, I don't know. It, it, again, uh, I, I don't know if we've actually got, gone through the, the market overall today, but by and large, it is a, it is a, I mean, it's a solidly mixed day for the market. Right, it feels like there's more. I don't know. Actually, is there more green than red, or more red than green? Let's go to the uh, the watch list page and and, and look. Um, yeah, I mean, it's more green than red. Um, and we're coming off of a crazy two days, and they're sort of buying everything. They're buying the the meme stocks, like GameStop is up five percent. They're kind of just buying everything out there. So, hey, someone in the chat mentioned SDC. I'm happy for you. It's up ten. Chevron at new all time highs. Smile Direct Club, I'm, you know, um, I am not one that is going to tell you when to buy or when to sell something. You do you. Um, but if it were me and I was underwater in Smile Direct Club, I would sell on a day like today if it were I, I me. Thought, I thought it was really interesting. I saw Dennis tweet yesterday while the markets were ripping, it, it's a great time to sell some stocks. And I kind of saw things... You know, I'm not going to question Dennis's uh, ability to analyze the markets, but I, I think all this price action the past few days, I, 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 the way I feel about it, it's not like, okay, it's just a, a little rip and then we're going to be, but, you know, to me, this is like buyers coming in and saying, okay, some of these tech companies, whether it's Apple, Microsoft, you know, the pendulum swings, right? So when we had some of these stocks, 100% they got overextended, but that goes both ways too. So a stock will be going up, 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 and up, mm -hmm. and then it'll get a little bit too overbought, a little bit too expensive, and then people will start selling it, and then it'll get a little too oversold, and people will have to start coming in and buying it back up. Um, I don't know. I mean, I like I said, like that Dennis, you know, been doing it a lot longer than I am, and I wouldn't be. I'm, I'm not going to say that everyone should be bullish right now, but I would be. I'd be scared to to go out and short some stuff in the market right now. 
I'm I'm trying to find a really cool chart, Aaron, from pre-market prep this morning. I, our our guest on P, on on PMP this morning was amazing, and she shared a, a uh, she had a slide in, in this presentation. Oh come on, I'm trying to pull it up right now. Give me one second. Um, and it showed the Nasdaq 100 after the dot com crash, and the big takeaway here was it didn't the market did not go straight down there was a series of very very violent rallies while the nasdaq was in a prolonged downtrend here we go um i don't know how to uh bring this up i guess i'll just screw it or just share i'll just share my whole screen um the market had the nasdaq had very very violent rallies during a prolonged downtrend and is that what we're seeing right now? I mean, could be. Here, so here's a chart. I'm gonna zoom. Oh god, I just, I just, I just lost it. There, there we go. Okay, so this is the chart I was trying to show you. Can I zoom in here? No, not. Okay, but you, you can read what's on the screen right there. Okay, the Nasdaq during the bear market from the top in '99. To the bottom in like late 2002, you had a 35% rally, a 12% rally, a 25% rally, a 41% rally, a 45% rally. And each time those gains could not hold, they were given back. So we can have violent upswings in a prolonged downtrend. I thought this was a very prescient chart. Yeah, so, I, I mean, don't know. To me, though, is. The, the thing that I like about the price action we've been getting on the bullish side is that it's not, you know, in these names that where the valuations are crazy, right? You're getting, you're seeing people go out and buy Apple at a very reasonable PE price to sales. I mean, Apple's price to sales is about seven or eight. It's a little bit higher than S&P average. But I mean, right now, Amazon's price to sales is at like three, you know, so uh, that was what was crazy about during the, the markets when we just were it seemed like we were green every single day was it truly was some of these companies were getting a little bit overvalued and a little overextended um but the recent drawback i think brought us to really healthy valuations um Hel somewhat healthier i think maybe not really healthy like yeah healthier. i mean i think historically like amazon right now is is valued properly like i still don't think it's like it's it's overvalued at all um at a three prices i mean amazon's pe is higher but pe can be kind of misleading sometimes i don't know who knows either way everything that i think people were scared about whether it's inflation whether it's interest hikes is kind of priced in at this point and so for me to to go back to that i'm not going to say back to that bear market i don't even know if we were ever tech if we ever got to that 20 percent. but back we to, came close we came close to get back to that, I think we'd have to have more, we'd have to have some bearish news come out about the economy, about COVID, about something, because everything else right now, it seems priced in. Yeah, and this is this is the million dollar question, right? Is, um, is do valuations make sense or do they not make sense, right? Uh, if I had to pick something to buy, yeah, I'd rather buy Apple and Amazon versus like, some of the really high growth stuff, like the really speculative, like um, like a Moderna, or um, what's another, or what's like another example, of like a really high growth, like Zoom, which is still very high growth. It's come off, but it's still very high growth. 
or Teladoc or Doximity or any of those guys. Um, yeah, I'd rather buy a company with like real earnings, the mega caps. Well, so so what's interesting? Speaking of that, Spencer. Speaking of these value stocks, right now, you know, we we mentioned energy. We mentioned how strong it's been. Natural gas. Um, We've we talked about this before, but the idea of like buying stocks at all time highs goes against conventional wisdom. But mm. um, you know, a lot of times if you look at what stocks are trading at or near their fifty two week highs, those yeah. stocks are the ones showing strength. Those stocks are the ones that investors are flocking to. Um, and it's and trading, you know, energy companies, oil and gas companies. It's always hard. It's always risky because I could buy Chevron today, right, at all-time highs, and the OPEC countries could announce tomorrow they're upping production and the price uh, of crude oil could go down and the stock could get hit. Um, but what I'm pretty certain on is that the demand for travel for oil will continue. I mean, I, I, don't, I just don't see another— what, what was it like when you were traveling this weekend, like, like with the plane, the airport, the city— um surprisingly enough my flight actually wasn't very full down in new orleans but like okay. once we were there it was like it was bustling it was, it was hustling and bustling yeah i mean right. it was you know you would have never known there was a, a covid variant going around or whatever down there but uh yeah i mean it, it to me i i do like some of these uh you know i called out mro marathon oil a few weeks ago it, it, it's been up 20 percent over the last month so that's been a really strong name to uh I, I brought up BTU with Chris Capri the other day, Peabody yep. Energy. Peabody Energy having a great day today, up 10%. Um, but I've been looking at Chevron, and I haven't gotten in. I don't know if I'm going to because of what I just said. Basically, I could buy Chevron today, and they could announce tomorrow uh, they're increasing production of oil, driving the prices uh, of crude oil lower. But Chevron's got a very nice dividend. It's trading at all-time highs. So if you're looking to, to get into that oil play, um, that, that could be a decent move. I also have another name that's – more in the natural gas space Ooh. and for me this is a, a long-term play um but the companies tell you tell you rian t-e-l-l-u-r-i-a-n the, the ticker is t-e-l-l t-e-l-l okay wait, can you bring it up on the screen yeah so we can yeah thanks. Okay, let me bring it up in Vincent Pro. yeah it's a good idea always buy companies that you don't know how to pronounce I don't know how to pronounce them, but I, I like the long term. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> All right, tell you uh, Tell you <laughs> You're gonna say that? I, I don't know, man. Ticker tell. All right, pulling it up right now on my BZ Pro. <laughs> yeah, again, this is one that I. You know, there are names out there to play like the the cyclical. Uh, you know, ebbs and flows of demand, supply and demand of oil. This one again is more of a long-term play. It's got a way, it's got a way smaller market cap. I mean, it's still a billion-dollar market cap, but compared to other, other players in the space, not a huge company, um, but supposed to be one of the leaders going forward in in natural gas. It's an LNG marketing mm. infrastructure. So okay, is it? This isn't a um, MLP. No, it's not. It's natural gas. So never, never mind. Okay. Um, wait, do you want to show us, you teased your portfolio earlier. You said you were active making some trades. Do you want to, you want to tell us what you did? Tell you, Rian. Yeah. That, that, that's it. No, 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 no. no okay. Someone in the chat was saying the pronunciation. Sure. The problem is, is on my Robin hood. I just don't know if there's a great way to like, look at old trades. I, uh, Hey Vlad. Vlad. Can you, uh, so today, so I, w I was basically, I did something that any like, 
seasoned options trader would tell you it's, it's not to not do it, but it's very risky. And that was that I had short dated options, um, you know, so they weren't leaps or anything. They were they were options that expired either this Friday, February 4th or the monthlies of February, February 18th. Um, and I held them over the weekend, right? And every options trader is like that, you know, you don't want to hold contracts that aren't long dated over the weekend because anything can happen over the weekend, whatever. I did partly because I was traveling. And I just like, you know, said, screw it, and, you know, whatever. Screw it. But I had, so today, portfolio is down $300. Doesn't look great. But if you go to the week, up $1,500. So today I just had a bunch of open call contracts that I hadn't sold yesterday that I ended up selling because I like, Apple, Baba, but yeah, here, let me go. Okay. We can go through some specific names. So like Baba, um, let's see. Go to history. Yeah, so on the 28th, I bought two $120 call options on Baba that expire uh, February 18th. We can see right here. I love when Aaron gets active. Where's the... They don't even, they don't tell you that, oh here's the strike or here's the expiration date two eighteen call by one twenty bought oh boy bought them for three twenty a contract and they report next week yeah oh boy I already sold them but I sold oh, okay. I okay. sold one for five thirty which is from three twenty like almost one hundred percent gain but then I saw one or I sold one this morning for eight nine eight eighty so three twenty to eight eighty that that's more than one hundred percent gain obviously I wish I would have held on to that other one. Um, but Baba was one of the names I played. Apple. So for the first time ever last week, I had a so I had Apple calls into the earnings, um, and, and Apple moved up the earnings, but my calls weren't up that much. So I rolled them over to the next Friday, and Apple uh, ended up do, having a nice move yesterday. So I was able to sell my Apple call for more than 100% gain. That was nice as well. Um, so overall, you know, good couple of days for the market. I am playing the Google earnings tonight. Um, Google, obviously, a very expensive stock. It's it's expensive to go out and just buy a call option. So I did. I opted for a debit spread instead. Okay. Um, you so want to explain what a debit spread is real fast for the uninitiated? Yeah. So essentially, um, oh, Jay Rice has been a good trade. Huh? It's hard. It's hard to get Jay Rice's approval. Jay Rice had good trade, Aaron. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so essentially, looking at looking at the call options for Google, right? Google reports after earnings today. Um, the share currently it's at two thousand seven hundred twenty-seven a share. If I wanted to look at the twenty-seven fifty calls, they're about fifty-five hundred dollars, fifty-six dollars for the contract, um, and that kind of that kind of prices me out. So what I can do here's an option for for a debit spread. You buy the lower leg, so two seven fifty. You sell. Uh, the higher leg, two seven five five. Okay. Now my price is two hundred for these for the contracts around two thirty. Um, you can see right here. So this is really interesting. I like this how they have this on Robinhood. Love it. If Google is at or below, or if it's below twenty seven fifty, I lose you know the amount that I the premium I pay for the contract. If it's above it, I, I basically get two seventy five. So I basically you basically double your money. If it's above twenty seven fifty, if it's above my price, if it's not, it's below. So I all I need tomorrow is for Google to be above, you know, about like a two percent increase from where it's at today, and I can sell it for a nice hundred percent gain. Um, you know, clean my hands and be done with it. So that's how I'm playing Google. I typically, you know, I, I do spreads sometimes, but this is really when I utilize the spreads is when the call options or, or, the, or the option contracts themselves are very expensive and can be kind of cost prohibitive. So it, it, it's a way to just kind of be able to play it a little bit cheaper, still get that, uh, 
you know, upside, upside potential. Awesome. It's, it's fun. Yeah. Awesome. I can't wait to, I can't wait for you to ask Rob about this. I, about I, the spreads? Yeah, well, yeah, about this, this. Yeah, I bet you Rob would, would approve as well. I hope so. Uh, I yeah. mean, the, the spreads are always a safer way to play than just like the straight option contracts. But yeah, yeah. if anyone was wondering, portfolio up fifteen, up fifteen hundred right. past week. You, you had ski a, trip you, looking, you looking a, plausible after all. You had a productive week. The ski trip is on. It's on right it's back now. On. It's, We're back it's on. It's trending. It's trending. It's not on yet, but how, how do we know if it's on for real? Um, if we have another one of these weeks, I think we double that, then it's completely covered, you know? All right. Nice. The ski trip is trending up. Trending up. Nice. Vail Resorts, get ready. Aaron Bree may or may not be coming in a few weeks. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we're still looking at MTN. If it, if it sets up for a trade, um, we will trade it. The problem is, is like, you, you guys know, I like to trade options. It's not very volatile. I don't think it's a great stock for trading options but sometimes those are the best ones to trade options on because they don't have the high implied volatility so Ooh. if you do get a surprise move uh you know you get some there you go all right um and we're gonna have our next guest on in a couple of minutes real fast let's just do a quick crypto update shall we let me bring up the heat That green Aaron, we got green across the board. Woo. Everything is up. Wouldn't you know it? To buy everything crypto day. When I say everything, I mean only the largest cryptocurrencies, of course. Bitcoin up two percent, ETH up. ETH has had a amazing like three days now. It's up four percent again today. Um, I the last three days, ETH is up like what, like 15 percent, some ridiculous like that. Solano's up 15 percent today alone. Cardano's up. Only 1%, give me a break, uh, Cardano. Uh, XRP up 3.5%. Um, Polkadot up, what, what's that, almost 6%. Again, this is a rolling 24-hour basis. Uh, so great stuff. It was a brutal month for crypto, but it's bouncing. It's bouncing. So, again, as I said, I bought more. I buy more every month. I don't think about it. It's automated. That's that. Um, but... My timing in this case couldn't have been really couldn't have been better. I guess it could have been a little bit. I also bought true. some crypto. I get that's not true. My timing could have been better if I had done it like on Wednesday. That would have been better, but I didn't. Um, I, and end of the month. Anyway, um, you also bought more. I did. I bought more Ethereum and Bitcoin. I did the same. Oh, I did not know this. Yep. Maybe we bought at the same time. I don't. Unlikely. Maybe, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it's similar to stocks the way I see it, right? Like, I'm not trying to time a bottom. I see a couple of green days in a row, and I think, hey, this could be spires. And guess what? I know I could be wrong. I know Bitcoin. I know Ethereum. I know even the equity market. I know stocks can continue to go down. That's, that's it. Um, but to me, it's it's a good enough sign that, hey, look, had a healthy drawback. Buyers are coming back in. Time for me to get back in. Um, if Ethereum, Bitcoin does end up dropping more, and I'll lower my I'll, I'll buy more. I'll All right. Yeah, I'll buy more as well. As a reminder, if you want free Bitcoin, it's easy to get. It is so easy to get. All you have to do is download the Voyager app, enter the promo code ZING, Z-I-N-G, open an account, fund it, fund it with 100 bucks, make a trade, and then Voyager will send you $50 worth of Bitcoin just for doing that. Very easy. Voyager, ZING, check it out. 
All right, without further ado, let's bring on our first guest of the day. Man, we never heard from David. I hope he's okay. Uh, Sylvia Wolf is the president and CEO of Aqua Bounty Technologies. See, this right here, the conversation we're about to have is why I grew to love the stock market and in, well, investing in particular, but the stock market, same idea, right? It's because you can use the stock market as an entry point to, to learn about almost anything, like almost anything. We could talk about, you know, computer chips and global supply chains and uh, margins on roller coasters. But we're going to talk about um, food supply chain right now. We're going to talk about um, the global supply of fish and salmon specifically. Um, and that's that's what Aqua Bounty Technologies does. So let's give Sylvia the special intro right now, Aaron, and let's get her on the show. Sylvia Wolf, welcome to Benzing Alive. How are you? Doing great. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks. I was listening to you and I'm thinking to myself, oh my gosh, I um, want to make sure that I talk about myself because what you've just been describing is totally different than what I do, right? Totally different? Totally different. It's technology well, the- in a different way. Okay, explain it then. So we are the first approved genetically engineered animal for food use, and that's our genetically engineered salmon. And we raise those salmon in a land-based recirculating aquaculture system. And so think about it this way. 30 years ago, we um, there was a researcher in um, Canada that actually looked at how can he protect young salmon from extreme weather events. And what he did was he inserted a Chinook gene into an Atlantic salmon gene. And fast forward 30 years, we have a salmon that's really been designed to thrive in a land-based farm. And for you guys, um, most of our salmon is actually farm, not wild caught, not Alaskan salmon. And we import 97% of our salmon. And so having the ability to farm it this way is really the way of the future. Um, so, you know, so can you, can, yeah, yeah. So can you explain explain to us like the problem then? Because I, I, you know, when I said mm-hmm. global food supply chain, I, I was getting at the the whole idea that, frankly, and and this, and you can talk to people in my personal life, and they will attest to this. The, the idea that I cannot get my head around is how there is enough food for everyone. How do we grow enough food for whether it's chicken, whether it's what crops, whatever, it blows my mind. How is there enough salmon in the world? And so your your company is sort of getting at that issue. But explain to us the real issue here. Like why does Aqua Bounty need to exist? So if you think about what's happening with the world population, you know, we're gonna be between nine and ten billion people. And currently our supply chains can't feed all of those people. And so we have to start looking for new solutions. But not only do we have to feed all of those people, we've got to do it in a way that protects the planet. And so this is where technology, and in our case, specifically biotechnology, can play a real role in making sure that we're creating a healthy protein, we're growing a healthy protein in a way that is safe, secure, and sustainable to feed all of those people going forward. So we're going to have to double protein production to meet those needs. And that means we're going to have to double what aquaculture or you know, seafood farming 
can do by 2050. And it's not that far away. So right now you're just focused on salmon, right? I, I, how difficult is it to like decide to grow tuna, for example? You know, every species is different. You're dealing with a different right. biology. So we look at salmon because we, um, we believe that it is one of the healthiest proteins. And there's just, you know, demand is so far outstripping supply. So we started with salmon. But we believe that this can be applied to shrimp. This can, you know, there's, there's farms that are raising yellowtail. So the type of farming that we do um, will continue to improve. And we think it's going to be applicable to more and more species. Okay. So can, like, let's talk some numbers here. How, how long does it take or uh, how long does it take to, to, to grow one of these things? How many, like, like wh what is your capacity to grow? How many are you producing each year? Right now we operate two farms, one in Canada, which is a small call a demonstration farm. It's 250 metric tons. And we have a farm in Indiana that's 1,200 metric tons. And to put that into perspective, the U.S. imports 400, over 400,000 metric tons wow. of farm salmon. And so we are now building a farm in Ohio, uh, which you wouldn't think about raising salmon in Ohio, but because I of wouldn't. the technology, you can. Um, and that will be 10,000 metric tons. So basically eight times the size of our farm in Indiana. Um, so again... This method of farming, um, the more farms you build, the faster you fill in that supply demand imbalance. And it's really, it, I mean, I do think it's the future. So, so why, why Ohio though specifically? I yeah. know besides the fact that you can. <laughs> it, uh, the reason is when you think about, so let me just describe what we do. Think of a big um, undercover tank farm. So it's really a big water filtration plant with tanks that have salmon growing in them. And it takes for our salmon, that's one of the benefits of our salmon, is it grows to maturity in roughly 18 to 19 months versus okay. you know, a, a farm salmon, which are typically raised in what they call ocean pens in cold water areas like Norway and Chile. And that can take anywhere from 26 to 30 months. And when you grow a non-transgenic salmon or a conventional salmon, the, the way that we grow our salmon, it can take 26 to 28 months. So we get more throughput uh, for the same investment. And it's a capital intensive method of farming. That's one of the benefits. And our, our fish are highly efficient in the way that they utilize their feed. So we have to feed them less and we get more biomass. And so, you know, you, you basically are producing more with less. But the key well, is... You got to grow it in areas where you have access to quantity and quality of water. And we raise our salmon in fresh water, not salt water. And so think about okay. the heartland, right? It, 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 you got access to water with the aquifers. And the other is because we produce a lot of solid waste, it gives us an opportunity to provide fertilizer. So we want to be in an agriculturally oriented state or geography. So that's why Ohio and Indiana are so good. What what, what about like from a, just a health perspective? Like, like how, how does a genetically grown uh, salmon compare to just a naturally caught fish? So it's it, it's it's Atlantic salmon, <clears throat> which is um, typically, as I said, grown in ocean pens. It's different than what you're used to with like Alaskan wild salmon, um, but it's identical with the exception of the one Chinook gene. And so we went through 25 years 
of the process to gain regulatory approval, which was testing. And so I can tell you, we are identical to Atlantic salmon with the exception of that gene. And so we produce a very healthy protein in a very environmentally responsible way. Um, there's some good questions here uh, from the chat. I don't want to ignore the, uh, them. Sure. Uh, and Cal asked, uh, what are the salmons fed? They're fed um, a specially designed diet for salmon, and they get a different part, a different type of diet depending on their life stage. So we feed the, you know, the juveniles something a little bit different, but it's primarily soy with a little bit of fish oil and fish meal. <clears throat> Excuse me, salmon are carnivorous, so they require a high protein content, um, and they're also picky eaters. So they eat other fish when they're out in the wild. So our diet incorporates a little fish oil and a little fish meal. Um, and I, I apologize if you already said this, but did you say how many, what your capacity is, what you're able to grow per year? Right now, it's about 1,500 metric tons, and we are okay. building a farm that'll produce 10,000 metric tons, okay. our first farm, Okay. Okay. first big scale farm. Um, yeah, I mean, again, this, this is really like, think about like growing fish is a really interesting idea. So, um, obviously, um, you know, not cheap, very, very capital intensive. So that's, that, that's part of, that's part of the equation here. Uh, bug log wants to know when you project to reach profitability. <clears throat> We've started construction on the big farm. We'll introduce eggs into that farm late in 2023 and those fish will come to market early 2025 and so we will hit okay. profitability in 2025 but we also okay. have plans to leverage our research capabilities um because again we're we do fundamental research in health nutrition and genetics and we think that there may be some really interesting opportunities to work with say animal health companies um, to fill in that gap in profitability between now and then okay um, and w just to be clear, when did you actually break ground on the Ohio facility or if not, when yeah, we, we started site preparation okay. this month, um, okay. and we'll actually start con building construction probably mid March. Um, man, uh, a lot of good questions from the chat. Uh, I guess Sylvia, like what, why, why salmon specifically? We think that salmon is one of the healthiest proteins on the planet. Um, and when we think about our fish, we've got a fish that grows faster, eats less, and produces you know, an excellent nutritional profile. So that's really why we started with salmon. What, what, what kind of like FDA regulations do you have to, you have to pass to, to be able to sell this kind of salmon? I imagine there are regulations. Yeah, you know, this is where we are the pioneer. We were the first. And so there was no real pathway for um, genetically engineered animals, specifically for food use. And so we worked really closely with FDA and Health Canada over that 25 year period to make sure that we were testing for all of the critical elements. Um, and we are, believe it or not, we're actually regulated as an animal pharmaceutical because the genetics are in the egg. And so our facilities are animal pharmaceutical facilities. They're regulated like that. So what, what the benefit of that is, is they're biosecure, no antibiotics needed. We protect the fish, we protect the environment, and we have really rigorous processes that 
you know, we get audited by FDA. Right. So that so the is the FDA that that's the regulatory body. That's right. Seeing you, not like USDA. Okay, I guess that makes sense. Um, man, I feel like there's like this is like a whole world that 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 I'm unfamiliar with. Um, how do you like price these? I I would imagine they're like more expensive than I, I maybe they're not. I really don't know. Well, actually, they're not. And when you compare air freighting salmon from Norway or Chile on a delivered basis, um, where we can be competitive with uh, commodity pricing from Chile or Norway. And, and what, why we think that that's really important is, could we get a premium price because we have a more sustainable antibiotic-free fish? We probably could, and we will test that. But I think you know, for, for our company, we wanna feed more people, we wanna feed them a healthy protein, and we wanna make it affordable. And so our business model is to compete at a commodity pricing level. Um, when, at, at what point in the future is the natural supply of salmon in, potentially endangered? Do you, is, is, is that, I mean, because that's what we're talking about here, because that's, you know, that's the problem. So like, like how far out is this a problem? Is this going to be a problem? So I'm, I'm going to answer it um, by describing the different ways that salmon is caught or raised. So if you think about wild caught salmon, okay, um, they're fished, they, you know, that that's how they're, that's how they're caught. That's how they're brought to market. And there are quotas on how much salmon um, any fishing vessel can bring in to protect that wild population. Is you're there illegal to, fishing, overfishing? Yeah, you're, you're referring to well, overfishing, right? Which is right. when you destroy yeah. the, right. But Alaska specifically, really highly regulated and they wanna protect those populations because it's their livelihood. But the majority of salmon that's concerned is what we call farm salmon, farmed Atlantic salmon in the big ocean pens. And the challenge there is there's some environmental challenges um, with that method of farming. You know, the fish are exposed to extreme weather conditions. They're exposed to predators or contaminants, um, sure. disease. And countries that are basically you have to get a license to, to build those net pens, countries are more and more reluctant to issue more licenses because of the waste streams and the impact on the environment. And so that's constraining supply. Uh, which is why the way that we farm is going to help to fill in that supply demand imbalance. But we need all of them. We need all those methods. What, what about like other are other countries doing this? Could you expand to other countries? Mm -hmm. We can. And the way we look at the expansion strategy is to look for the same characteristics that we see in the U.S. That we're a net importer of salmon. So you know we we just don't we don't raise it. There's not cold water. And there, there's a number of other countries that have similar dynamics. Um, Brazil, China, the Middle East. Um, those are those are countries where this type of farming methodology can really help to make sure that they're able to to meet that increasing demand. Demand for for um, Atlantic salmon in China growing 25 percent. And when you think about a billion, you know, a billion plus people, that's a big market. And. Um, okay, uh, we'll, we'll wrap it up with this chat. This question from Clay in the chat: um, Are your salmon on the retail market today? And if not, when will they be? 
So we are selling, we're harvesting and selling, and our salmon are actually going into the food service channel. So we sell okay. through seafood distributors to restaurants, Ooh, hospitals, you know, those, those kinds of environments. We haven't gone into retail because we have limited supply out of Indiana. And so we don't marry up well with a big retail chain. Um, but that's, that's the plan for our Ohio farm. So it's to I, I, bring I, our salmon to market to in retail. Out of curiosity, like our restaurants or food distributors or whomever, are they are they required to indicate that the salmon on the menu is like natural or or, or grown? Or I, I don't I don't even know. They're not, they there's disclosure requirements with the there's a um, piece of legislation called the National Bioengineered Disclosure Act. But restaurants and away from home dining are not required to label. We label our fish leaving our facility, but okay. it doesn't necessarily carry all the way through to the menu. And and I'll, I'll just tell you my bias. Um, Canada doesn't require that because after 25 years of testing, they've ascertained that, you know what, it's identical. So why are we going to call it out? Right. Um, genetically modified and genetically engineered foods are the reason that we have an affordable and accessible food supply. And I'm, and I think that consumers are going to start to really see the benefits of biotechnology. There's nothing to be afraid of from a safety perspective, um, a nutritional perspective when you talk about GMOs. All right. Hold the phone. We apparently have a, a pro in the chat and I can't confirm this, but, uh, this guy says, Alaska salmon fishermen here. What are the odds that we have an Alaska salmon fisherman? Anyway, what is, he wants to know, what is the fat content of the salmon, say, compared to a winter king salmon? It's, it, it's, it compares to Atlantic salmon, not necessarily Pacific salmon. But okay. the omega-3s and the fatty acids are slightly less than a Pacific salmon, but better than so many other proteins. Man. All right. Uh, Sylvia King is the president and CEO, Aquabalcon Technologies, doing some uh, uh, pretty cool stuff uh, in the world of salmon. Uh, Sylvia, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you. Appreciate the time. Um, someone in the chat just asked me how I don't get bored. And like that, that's not boring to me. That That's interesting. I like to learn about new things. Like, Come on, we're talking about growing salmon. That that, that doesn't interest you. I, I if it doesn't interest you, that's fine. I I can't make it interesting to you. I can't make you interested in everything. But like, the reason I don't get bored doing these interviews is because I like I like to learn new things. I like to hear about new technologies. New and I, and I like to learn about business. Like I listen to a lot of business podcasts, like business breakdowns. I listen to. Planet Money, I listened to how I built this. Like I like learning about businesses and how they grow. So like it's genuinely fun for me. So that's how I don't get bored. I it's 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 not boring, <laughs> frankly. Um if I can make it more interesting, give me feedback. But I um uh you know guards guardsmen in the chat, are you really a a a, 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 a salmon fisherman? Hold on. Uh, are you really an Alaska salmon fisherman, guardsman? What are the odds, Aaron, that we'd have an Alaska salmon fisherman in the chat? Maybe they saw our interview somewhere. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. He's slacking me right now. Because the reason Aaron's quiet is because 
Robert Roy is having some internet connections. Oh, apparently I I I uh I said Sylvia King. I'm sorry. I meant I think Sylvia. it was cuz we were talking about King Salmon. I'm sorry. I meant Sylvia Wolf. Uh apologies Sylvia. Um Robert Roy is having a a bad internet day apparently. We just got an email while Sylvia was on that his internet is not cooperating so he may not be able to join. So we are looking for a uh, 1245 guest. At the, that's what Aaron's doing right now. Yeah, I'm reaching out to some people. I also, so I wanted to talk about this, Spencer. I saw this yesterday, and I hate this. I always, like, I'll see something that I find interesting and, and not flag it. Yeah, forget. Um, and I don't even know where I initially saw it, like whether it was Twitter, Reddit, who knows. But I found it again on Twitter. But I know this wasn't the original post that I saw because this is from an hour ago, and I saw this yesterday. Okay. Um, but it comes from Okta Businesses at Work. Yeah. which I went to their website. It's pretty cool. They've got some cool data on there. Um, well, let, me, let me try to zoom out this. So what this chart is, is, is most popular cloud platforms as a service and administration tools. Here's the real chart. Um, you can see all these lines down here are different companies, and this is Amazon right here, AWS. They removed that for scale because it kind of throws everything else off. So these are the remaining companies. Um, after you take out Amazon, Microsoft, Azure up top, um, Google, here's what's interesting. So this is going, it, it has data all the way back to February 2016. Google hadn't even introduced its uh, cloud computing platform. What Google's is called literally Google Cloud Platform, uh, GCP. Hadn't introduced it yet. Um, and this chart shows you while that, yes, Microsoft Microsoft's Azure is still the second biggest player in this space. Uh, that Google's is the fastest growing. So you have Amazon, Microsoft, Google, some huge names, and then Twilio. Um, so Twilio is one of those stocks that we saw got a little bit. Wait, Hunt, so, so just to be clear here, the, the blue line up top, that's Microsoft. This blue line. The red line's Google. Yes. Okay. And this is Twilio. And that's Twilio. So Twilio at one point actually was ahead of Google. Uh, Google has since surpassed Twilio. Um, so you can see Twilio's cloud. They have to remove AWS for scale? You have to. You have to. Here's, oh here's, AW, here's what the chart looks like with AWS. Dude, we are all going to work for Amazon. Yeah. Well, okay. If you guys are investing in like tech in Holy growth and you, and you don't understand what's going on in like the cloud computing space and, and all these companies jockeying for market share here, <laughs> Amazon stock has gone up, gone up like a thousand oh percent God. over the last five years. Not because of how much, how many goods they sell or how much money they're bringing in. It's because of their cloud computing service and because they basically had a monopoly in it. Microsoft is like the only somewhat competitor there was of course the big who is the big deal with wait the wait big, don't they also who's um uh or is it oracle or oracle they're look here, but, but oracle's they're, down here they're tiny <laughs> they're so oracle's tiny this little green line um sorry oracle wait what was the company you, you're sorry? i'm saying there was a what was was it for a government contract the yeah uh, the, yeah the, the, microsoft and amazon were like yeah the, the jedi yeah the yeah, jedi yeah that's the jedi contract yeah so, I mean, yeah, Microsoft remains Amazon's biggest competitor in this space. Obviously, Google has the, the infrastructure and the invest, you know, the R&D to, to also be a competitor in this space. So, I don't know. But Twilio is honestly interesting to me at this point because um, looking at the stock, and here, let me get my, my Benzinga Pro up. Stop sharing this screen. Start sharing the other one. 
<laughs> that that was a good shot, Aaron. Thank you for flagging that. Yeah, I wish I, I wish I could credit whoever I actually saw. No, no, whoever in, in the chat said that. Stop spreading rumors. Uh, we will tell you when we're gonna have the CEO of BBIG on the show. If you don't hear it from us, then it's not real. Okay, they're not on the show today. So looking at Twilio's chart. Yeah, oh, I'm not sharing my screen. That would help. How's that? Oops, sorry. There we go. Um, still not great because for some reason my charts never look as good as yours. Yeah, you want me to bring mine? I'll bring mine up. Sure. Let me get my, my TWLO. And, and this is what I was talking about that the pendulum swings both ways, right? At some point, Twilio 100% was overextended, overbought, um, got, got as high as 400 and. What's our high back there at the beginning of 2021? What's that? 457. And we're at 207 right now. So we've oh drawn down more than 50% from its all-time highs. Um, and that's on, this is what I'm saying. This is one of those stocks that I think the pendulum has swung too far on the sold side and is now a, a little bit oversold. I, it does concern me looking at that chart, seeing that Google is, is Google's cloud uh, part of their business might be growing at a faster rate than Twilio's. But I don't even think Twilio has to say, oh, we're growing at this like absurd rate. They just need to be able to say, hey, we're, we're still a relevant player in this field and we're going to be for a while. And that that gives them a lot of credence when it, you know, when it comes to investors that are looking for this. Um, I'm looking at the RSI in mine. It does look like we've we've had an RSI bounce from about, I don't know, 20 to 40. So... I don't know. Twilio will be one to watch and I, our, keep our eye on that. The company does report earnings next week. But again, this is one that I would not be surprised to see trading at 250, uh, 300 in the next two, three months. All right. Twilio is another one that's on my watch list, but I haven't, I'm, you know, I'm, I don't own it, but maybe one day. Um, speaking of earnings, Aaron, you want to look ahead to the calendar? We have a number of big reports. Uh, for those of you who were watching our channel last week, you saw that we streamed the earnings calls from Apple, from Tesla, and uh, from Robinhood. And there is one more that I don't remember that. I think we did we did Netflix the week before that. We are going to go back to that uh, this week, starting tonight. We will be streaming the Alphabet earnings call, and I am taking a vote. Would you rather us stream General Motors? Starbucks, AMD, or PayPal? I'm going to leave it up to the chat right now. You know what? Actually, uh, don't put your answer yet. I I'm, I'm going to do a survey. I'm, I'm going to do like a... Wait, we only, get to, we only get to do one a day, you said? No, no. We can do like two a day. Uh, so hold on. I, I'm, doing a, I'm doing a survey right now in the chat. Don't, don't, answer, the, don't answer the question yet. Um, who should we stream tonight? Uh, okay. So we are, we're going to do Alphabet. Do you want to see AMD... Do you want to see S-Bucks? Do you want to see PYPL? Do you want to see, uh, wait, what was the last one? Wait, wait, uh, oh, uh, GM, right, GM, okay, GM. So the results of this survey will determine which, uh, which earnings call we stream tonight. I think AMD will be interesting because, um, Here's my prediction for AMD. I think they're going to report great numbers because, I mean, think about it. Right now, there's still, while we have some signs that the uh, semiconductor chip shortage has has been 
easing, there is still certainly a a shortage. And basically, AMD and NVIDIA right now is guaranteed to sell every single chip they produce. Yep. Um, but what I'm worried about, so that's the part where I think they're going to report great earnings. What I'm worried about is that they may give some not so great guidance saying, hey, we're still dealing with a lot of these issues. Uh, you, you know, just some uncertainty. Uh, Bubba, Bubba Sheep wants us to stream Palti Group that, that Wait, wasn't that was this morning? So no. Um, and uh, Aaron, so far AMD is winning. So maybe maybe we we'll, we will yeah, stream. Yeah, I, I think I think that's I think that's the most interesting one outside of Alphabet. Really? St- yeah. I, I kind of thought that like Starbucks or GM would be interesting because Starbucks is I mean the ones by me are like never open and GM is I mean they're they're going to talk EVs and that's fun. Starbucks so. is interesting. I I don't know though. I mean. Wow. All right. Anyway, AMD is the clear leader right now. We're not going to close the poll yet. Vote for the company you think we should stream their earnings call uh, tonight. Uh, AMD is looking like the winner. Um, yeah. Uh, and Aaron, to your point about the shortage, a lot of, uh, let's see, Apple said this last week. Uh, Tesla said this on their report as well, that the chip shortage is easing. They were both very conservative. on the, they, they were not trying to like call the end to it right now, but they did both go out of their way to say that the shortage, while it's still a problem, is getting better. Um, so to think about AMD, you know, everything that they make is flying off the shelf. Um, all right. At this rate, it looks like we may end up streaming AMD tonight, but we'll see. Uh, I'll keep that survey going for a few more minutes. So we got Alphabet tonight. Can we? Can I go to that chart? Um, let's Do go, it. Let's go Give to me one that. Sex, oh, Aaron's going to leave me alone again. Also, I'm supposed to have a phone call at 1 o'clock. I don't know how that's going to work if Robert Rory's not here. So. Um, all right. Let's go to the, the alphabet chart. Okay, perfect. Bring it up on my screen here. Sorry, it takes me a second to um, change screens. Wait, do you guys hear Aaron? Or is that just me? It may just be me because he's near me. Okay. Uh, Google. Googster, there we go. Google, Google, whatever, same thing. Um, yeah, see, easy mic with the the whole unionization thing. Thought that would thought that would make Starbucks. Yeah, I think Starbucks is getting whooped right now in our survey. Nobody wants to see Starbucks tonight. All right, <laughs> that's fine. It's a democracy. Anyway, back to Alphabet. So. Um, look, we, we're coming off a week in which um, oh Microsoft. We did Microsoft last week as well. Microsoft, uh, Apple, Tesla, all had good earnings reports. Okay, so the bar is set reasonably high. Um, let me look up real quick. Um, let's go into the pro and let's search for Google. Go into earnings calendar and let's change the time frame. Let's go back like a bunch of years. Let's just go back like 2012 or whatever. Um, cool. We're going to sort it by. Uh, there we go. Okay. So let's, uh, let's let's get rid of this column here. Let's just get rid of that. We don't need name, do we? Make it easier for you all to see. There we go. Okay. So here we got. Here we go. We got uh, a history of Google's earnings. Google slash Alphabet, whatever whatever you want to call it. A history of their earnings going back to 2012. All right? How often do they beat? How often do they miss? Now, again, what, what do we always say with earnings? 
whether they beat or miss is not necessarily indicative of whether the stock will go up or go down. You should all know that going in. But that being said, um, more often than not, Alphabet beats the estimate. Right. Uh, they haven't missed on their earnings or revenue uh, since since COVID, basically, since <laughs> since April of uh, 2020, when they missed on their, their EPS a little bit. Um, but this is a, a company is a fine tuned machine. They print money. They make more money per quarter on the top line than most companies do. You know, in a year, they made sixty five billion dollars last quarter. Uh, if we look uh, to compare year over year. You always want to look to see, you know, how the how the results stack up year over year. So in Alphabet's case, uh, the earnings per share uh, a year ago, uh, Q4 2021, uh, was um, uh, 22. Wow, 22 dollars was their EPS, and the revenue was 56 billion. So um, those are numbers worth looking at. We have an EPS estimate. This is based on the consensus estimate from. All the estimates that are out there, this is the average. $27.48 is our estimate for EPS tonight. Don't have a revenue estimate there yet. Um, that being said, let me go to a, a different platform real fast uh, that I use called Market Chameleon. Just just to look at uh, just to look at and see what what Alphabet does. This is free plug. Maybe I'll get Dimitri on the show and, and we can uh, talk about... Um, Expected moves and all that, but uh, I just want to see what Google does after it earnings reports historically. So historically, um, oh, it's it's so mixed. Gosh, it's so mixed. There's no real trend here. Google uh, actually trades down more often than not after its earnings report. Not by a lot. Not by much though. Um, man, there, yeah, this is tough. There really is no real no. There's no real trend. There's no real post earnings trend for Alphabet. Hmm. It's a little surprising. So again, even though the stock, even though the company almost always beats, whether it goes up or down afterwards is sort of a flip of the coin, to be honest, based on the last three years. So um, that's interesting. Yeah, the last. Okay, so just to just to be clear, the last um, one, one, two, three, four, five. So five of the last six quarters. Five of the last six quarters. Alphabet has traded higher in the ensuing two days. So I guess in a recent history, yeah. In recent history, it is more likely to trade higher. But if you go back further than that, it really is a, a flip of the coin. Um, so recent history is it may trade higher, but I guess we'll find out tonight. We all good, AV? Yep. All right, cool. Just checking. So this was Alphabet. Let's let's go look at AMD real fast. Um, where's my pro? AMD. But what I think is interesting in some some context is that AMD and Google are not typically trading down, you know, 10, 15% into their earnings. Um, well, I'm glad you mentioned that. So, uh, historically, no, you're right. You're right. A AMD's I mean, they're both such strong stocks that they don't typically trade this down they, as much anyway. Anyway, right. Yeah. <laughs> Let alone right into earnings. So it offers this like incredible buying opportunity for a lot of investors out there that are like, okay, the, the stock's trading at a discount and they just reported great earnings. Oh my God. Like that's how I felt about Microsoft and Apple last week. I mean, Apple, right, uh, goes from 
and Apple, obviously, historically, one of, if not the, the greatest stock, mm-hmm. was at a high, I think all-time high, early beginning of the year, January 2022, 182 a share, all the way down to 160. So, I mean, we saw like a 20% drawdown, more than 20% drawdown in Apple heading into earnings. And then what does the company do? Reports the best quarter ever. And I know there's some growth concerns or there's some concerns about can the company you know can apple do that again the next quarter and you know i don't know i just i just don't see i don't know because i feel like this probably it means that there's going to be another big trade-off in tech who knows amd is the same idea as google just to do a quick amd preview for a second first off as far as the historical earnings in amd whoops look, look at that they pretty much always beat. They pretty much always beat. However, after the fact, Jack, again, sort of a coin flip. There really is no trend on AMD's post-earnings performance. Um, it Some quarters it trades up. Some quarters it trades down. Th- there really is no pattern, frankly. Um, actually, it, the, the opening gap... Like the so for the the opening gap meaning um, taking today's close and comparing it to tomorrow's open, uh, that first opening opening gap after the the, uh, the, the report, uh, it is lower more often than not. AMD's opening gap the, from from the close of its pre before its earnings to the open after its earnings it does trade down more often than not going back the last three years. So that's interesting. But if you go back one day, go out one day, two days, three days, a week out, two weeks out, or really there is, there's not much of a trend to speak of, um, which is interesting. So um, it looks like the way things are going on this survey, we, we will be streaming the AMD call. I'm, I'm going to uh, end the poll right now. AMD is the winner. We will be streaming the Alphabet and the AMD calls tonight. Woo! Stay tuned to youtube.com slash Benzinga for that. Because, again, these calls are public. You can watch them on their company's investor site. Or you can hang out with us and uh, watch it with us. So that's what we will do. Um, and, gosh, I just had something I wanted to talk about. and then So no Rob today. Man, two of our guys bailed on us last minute. That is. I gotta. Yeah, we gotta track down David because usually that's a that's a, that's a usually, rarity. Uh, you know, this is uh, kind of on us too. We we usually never really like talk to David before confirm. We just shoot him the links and he shows up. Yeah, he he's just, old. He's yeah. old reliable. He shows up. Um, this is so weird. So yeah, hopefully everything is okay there. Any stocks anyone's watching right now? Spencer's got a got a call. He's got to hop on at once. We can just do a little have some fun with my portfolio. I. Before we do that, though, can I ask a question? Yeah. Can I ask you a question? Of course. Uh, I, I tweeted this out yesterday, uh-huh. and I had a lot of feedback on this. Okay. So this is my tweet from yesterday. I think I might have saw it. Um, and I'm asking for personal experience. How long is too long to correct someone who is calling you by the wrong name? Oh. How long is too long to wait? Both. This happened the other day. David Green was calling me Adam on the stream, and I said, I said Aaron, and he fixed it. Then he called me Adam again, so, but I, he knows my name. So let's just, yeah, he knows who you are. So let's just say, I guess we'll do this too. In my case, it's over email, but we, let's do over the uh, in person or over email. In person, you correct someone right away, right, if they call you by the wrong name. Yeah. Or 
Okay. I, I, I think that's, that's... Well, what, what, what's going on? So someone, instead of calling you Spencer, so someone, is calling you Steven? What? Someone over email... It has. We're on. I'm on an email chain now. I think there we're about a dozen emails into this chain, and she keeps calling, calling me by my last name, which is totally not. Uh, it, that, that that's that is common. It happens to me all the time. People call me Israel. They think that's my name. I, I don't know why my parents decided to give me a first name that could be a last name when I already had a last name that could be a first name. So, thanks for that, mom and dad. But um. So she's been calling me by my last name, this, this person that I don't know. Um, we've been emailing back and forth since January 20th now. So it's been, it's, it's been almost two weeks. Um, <laughs> what's my email address? You want to email me? Email shows at Benzinga.com. And then I get, that, I get those emails. Um, and I never, the, the first email she said my name correctly. But then the subsequent emails, I think there have been about six of them from her end now that she's called me. Is, she says, hi, Israel. And I think you just let it slide. I th that's what I've done. I've I let it slide. I've let it slide for over a week now. And, and now it's too late because if I correct her, then I have to like, then she's like, why didn't you correct me? And I'm like, right. I, I don't know. That, that, that would have been your time to correct her would have been on the first instance. Which I, I didn't do because you said like, FYI, my first name is Spencer, but you can call me Mr. Israel. I've done that before. I, again, this happens to me every single week. I'm not kidding. Uh, but usually I correct it, and I, for whatever reason, I didn't this time. And so now, I don't know. Okay. I, I'm not going to address her by the wrong name. Come on. That would be that would be rude, I think. Rich Wells said a boy named Sue in the chat. Great song by Johnny Cash. Um, now no, I kind of want to listen to some... Uh, here's the thing, though. is like my email, my signature is in the, it's in the bottom of my email. So whenever I respond to an email, my signature is there, and it clearly says my name. Oh, Andy's got a good idea. You could change your name to Israel Spencer, and then she's right. I, I, I might as well. Uh, every single year without fail on the first day of school, at least one teacher would call me Israel Spencer. Every single year. See, I, I had something similar where my last name is spelled B-R-Y. Yeah. It's pronounced Bree, but most people think Br it's Bry. Right. And I had a teacher one time who like called me Bri for like, like she would call me by my last name, but she would say it wrong for like the whole year. Yeah. And I just never corrected her. And then like, I, I think it was because I thought it was funny. And so my friends thought it was funny too. And then like yeah. on like the last day of class, like one of my friends was like, you know, his name's Bree, right? And she like freaked out and was like, <laughs> why wouldn't you tell me? Like all year I've been, we were like, yeah. Like. No, uh, um, Jonathan says, I'm thinking too much. Jonathan, that's all I do is think too much. Okay. That's my life. Yeah. Is thinking too much. And some people like call me by like Jason calls me by my last name. Yeah. But I know that he knows my name, right? He calls me Israel, but he, I know I know that he knows what my name is. So I don't, I don't correct him because there's nothing to correct. But this lady does not know my name clearly. Um, anyway, <laughs> it's not OCD. These are these are the things. This is like a, this is like a classic Seinfeld conundrum. I feel like. Um, yeah, anyway. it's like. Uh... Whatever. Wait, I, I had a classic Seinfeld conundrum the other that's, day. That, too, that's that. my life, man, is a series of Seinfeld conundrums. And now I can't remember what it was. Andy, no, she's like this. No, Andy, come on. It's not. This is like a, this is like a, the, the irony is, um, and I, I don't want to like, you know, say too much about it, but she, she's a PR person that's trying to get a guest on our show. <laughs> but whatever. 
Um, moving right along. All right, I'm supposed to have a phone call in one minute that I promised I would be on, um, thinking that we had Robert Roy as a guest, whom we no longer do. So, Aaron, are you cool to run solo for a few while I take this quick call and then come back to you? Of course. You, you, okay. Yeah. Um, I'm working on I, I reached out to some guests. I saw texted Brett Simba, see if he wants to come on and talk some of his trades. Problem is, all, all my friends that trade like that, they're like so locked into their computer screen and the trading that I don't even think they look at their phone until after the market closes. Ah, that'll do it. That'll do it. All right, I'm going to step off for a second. I'll be back in like 10 minutes. And right. uh, it, when I come back, I want to see some, some, some profits. Quick profits. That's what I want. All right, y'all. Let me know in the chat what stocks y'all are watching. We'll go ahead and get them pulled up on the Benzinga Pro. Of course, like we talked about earlier, it is still earnings season. We've had we have a lot of big companies to report this week. Of course, Google, AMD tonight. Um, let's see who else we got on the docket for the week this week. Uh, tonight, Alphabet, AMD, Starbucks, GM, EA. Uh, Gilead, one of the one of the bigger biotech kind of pharmaceutical names. PayPal, PayPal, man, we got to look at PayPal. See if there's a trade to be made there because PayPal's stock has gotten absolutely beaten down along with Square, but uh, there might be some value in there. And tomorrow before the open, we've got Humana, AbbVie, Boston Scientific, uh, Marathon, MRO, baby. Tomorrow morning, Marathon Oil, excited for that one. Thermo Fisher. After the close tomorrow, we've got Qualcomm, Meta. Spotify, Allstate, MetLife, Aflac. So, you know, uh, Thursday, before market open, we got Biogen, Honeywell, Cigna, Lilly, Ralph Lauren, BBVA, uh, Penn National Gaming, Quest Diagnostics. Then after the close on Thursday, Amazon, Ford, Activision, Blizzard, Pinterest, Deckers, Snapchat, Clorox, Sketchers, and uh, yeah, Friday Fridays are you typically pretty light, but we do have uh, Brookfield. We have Bristol Myers Squib. Wait, Brookfield Renewable stock. Is this the same stock as BAM? No, BEP. Okay, I kind of like BA Brookfield Assets. Management, BAM stock. All right. Um, uh, Juan wants us to look at NVIDIA. Juan, I'm always down to look at NVIDIA. This is my, got to be my favorite. I mean, Apple is probably my favorite all-time stock, but NVIDIA has been my favorite stock over the last, like, year or two years. Um I, bought, I have NVIDIA in my long-term Roth IRA. So, I mean, look, bottom line, with NVIDIA right now, we can see down here the RSI. Back in November, when we were at all-time highs in NVIDIA back at like 330, the, the RSI got way overextended, over 80. For most people, and people have different parameters, for, for most people, below 20 relative strength index it is oversold. Above 80 is overbought. Um, so we can see NVIDIA's RSI is still on the lower side. It's still down here around 40. Um, typically, you see it rise up until it gets to that overbought territory before it sells off. So I, I like NVIDIA here. I, I, I don't think, uh, you know, the 50% drawdown or whatever we saw from, from the high points 
is necessarily fair for NVIDIA, but it did get a little overextended. Um, but but we're going to need to see what happens with AMD because whatever happens with AMD, uh, NVIDIA will trade along with. So if AMD crushes it and is trading up 5% tomorrow, I expect to see NVIDIA trading up um, pretty much the same. I mean, maybe say AMD is trading up 5%, NVIDIA might be trading up 3 or 4%, but you get the idea and, and vice, versa, vice versa as well. Um, yeah, KT, I don't know. Is, is there a connection between Brookfield Renewable and Brookfield Asset Management? Are they are the same company, two different um, subsidiaries? Or are they completely different? I have no clue. Either way, I've always liked um, BAM, the BAM, Brookfield Asset Management. So I, I don't know. I'll figure that out. I'll do some research on, on the Brookfields and see if there's any connection there. um upstart yep uh kt was watching upstart today upstart at one point was up about 10 percent. has come down a little bit wait no all right i need to hide the i broke my charts how do i fix my charts all right i'm gonna work on fixing my charts you guys keep dropping tickers in the chat. We'll take a look at them. Um, I've got some capital to deploy in my Robinhood, though, so I'm looking to make some trades. If anyone's got any ideas. All the same. All right. So Brookfield and Brookfield Renewable, all the same. Um, SoFi. We can take a look at SoFi. Here, let me just try closing this out. There we go. All right. Details. We'll look at SoFi. I mean, I'm not going to lie. SoFi has kind of been scaring me recently. We went from $23 a share all the way down to 11 um, You just typically don't see drawdowns that big that quickly in stocks if, if there are, are, are enough buyers. So to me, that's a sign that, hey, there really aren't a lot of buyers out there for SoFi at this price point, um, even, as, even as it's come down. Um, so I'm, I'm on the sideline right now for upstart. If I start seeing it set up for a swing trade, so I'll know if it's set up for a swing trade because we can see this base. If it starts getting back up above this $15, $16 level, then I'll swing it back up here to 20 bucks, right? And even if you wait right now, we're at 13, 13 a share. Even if you wait till it gets to 15, 15 to $20 is still a 25% move. I'll take 25% moves all day long. I don't need to get in here and try to bottom fish, try to buy it at 13, try to buy it at 12, and hope it gets back up to all-time highs. I'd rather wait till I see that in the chart, that we see this trend established, um, that we see maybe you know two green weeks in a row for SoFi before I'm saying, okay, I'm going to buy this, try to swing it back up to those previous all-time highs. Um, someone's asking if Upstart still has room to run. Here, This is just on a daily. Yeah, it's got room to run. Look at this. We bottomed out. We found a spot where we consolidated. We can see the increased volume here over the past few days where we just had these kind of, we call this consolidation. You can call it soaking, uh, where, where, where stock bottoms out and finds its price, and then the volume starts to increase at the price. And a lot of times what you'll see is you'll see that consolidation. Um, 
you know, we had this phrase on get technical, the bigger the base, the higher in space. The longer that you see that soaking, that consolidation at a price, the higher you can expect that move up to be. Um, but I think this happened pretty quickly. I think we're just seeing that move up from upstart up about 7 8% today. I don't know if it's got more room to run today. I'm not saying it's setting up for a day trade right now. We need my boy uh, David Green here, but we'll get him back on soon. But um, what I'm saying is it's got it's got room to run back up here. If we see this strength continue, right? If, if we see this trend continue, say give it back to uh, to 150 if we get back up above here, then yeah, we're, we're looking good. We're looking good that we can run all the way back up to $300. So I like Upstart. I'm not going to buy it today. I want I want I want some more conviction. I want to see some more proof um, that that this stock can maintain this trend. That this isn't just a little bounce on what's going to be a, a longer downtrend. But if we see this price action continue, then oh yeah, we got room to run on Upstart. Um, bros. Oh, Christian wants us to look at pay. Okay. Oh, he's saying because I got some money to deploy. I know. I mean, I'm just scared. I, I'm so bullish right now. Like, I feel like everything I'm looking at, everything I want to play into earnings, I want to play the calls. Um, this is one of those stocks that that even a, even amid a big drawdown in the markets, even amid a big drawdown in tech, PayPal got beat up more than other stocks, right? PayPal, we can see back in July, back in summer, more than $300, all the way down to 170 a share here. Let me know how you guys what you guys are thinking into PayPal earnings. I like wait for a pullback. Jax, it depends. Jax, let me know how you're looking to trade it, right? Are you looking for a swing trade? Are you looking to get in to upstart long for the long term? Uh cuz then it really depends. Uh Jonathan's saying he agrees SoFi is scary. It's just one of those companies the more you know, speculative this company is, and that's all it is for SoFi. It's this huge bet on speculation that eventually, five years down the road, this is going to be a big player. Ten years down the road, it's going to be a big player. I think there are better investment opportunities out there right now with companies that aren't as much of speculation plays, aren't as further down the road, that are bringing in revenue now. I mean, shoot, even PayPal. Let's take a look at PayPal's, uh, at their financials. Um, let's look at their income statement. I want to see what their... So this is, yeah, this is weird. PayPal's earnings. Um, yeah, I mean, all right. So you can see right here, $3 billion in this quarter. And then it goes cuts in half. That's weird. Then back up to three billion, three and a half billion, and then less. So you're actually not seeing gross profit grow quarter over quarter. Um, net income, kind of similar story. Yeah, that's interesting. So so you're not seeing some great quarter over quarter growth, which I typically like to see. What I really like to see is very strong. Uh, year over year growth. So from the from the same quarter from the previous from the same quarter of the previous year, I want to see a lot of growth, and we're not really seeing that here. I mean, look, three billion to three point three billion. 
can be a huge miss today. Yeah, I'm not sold on PayPal. Uh, Jack's looking for it on a looking for upstart on a swing. Yeah, if you're looking for it on a swing, I wouldn't say I, I wouldn't say waiting for a pullback is the is the, the worst idea. Um, the real risk you run into there is, I mean, what if upstart's up again five percent tomorrow, and then you just see it kind of on this tear up, get back up, start heading back up to that 150, 200 spot. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if today's the day to go back, go out and buy upstart while it's up seven um, percent. Here, here's what I would do if I were you, Jax. I'd wait to see the price price movement of upstart into close today. So if you see, because right now we got to highs of the day around 120, and now we're at 116. We've kind of sold off around those highs, and the price action hasn't been great since about noon over the last hour and a half. Um, we, we've seen some weakness in the chart. I would see if that weakness continues, then maybe into the close today, uh, see, see if you can get a little bid. Um, but yeah, I, I'd wait till at least about close today, see if Upstart has any more legs in it, um, or, or if it's going to continue to trade lower. Um, Christian. Yeah, I'm out on. I'm out on playing PayPal in PayPal into earnings today. I just. I'm not seeing anything that makes me think it's going to be like a killer quarter. Let's look at cash flow. Um, let's look at the balance sheet. Yeah, I mean, Christian, I, I trust me, at, at first glance, like, like when you brought it up, I wanted to play PayPal on the long side into earnings. Um, and I'm, I'm, that might be a good move still. I mean, they could announce something, like you said, they could announce a buyback. They could announce something, you know, that'll, that'll be great for the stock. I mean, I think a lot of this, this is the type of earnings report that kind of makes her break a stock, at least in the short term. Because PayPal's been so beaten up over the past six, nine months. We talked about highs of 310 back in July, all the way down to 173 now. You know there's pressure on the executive team. You know there's pressure on the CEO to deliver something worthwhile to investors, to deliver something bullish to shareholders that that are looking forward saying, you know, what what can you do to ease my fears about holding this stock that's down 50% over the last three months when when markets are only down 15 percent you know you guys have have basically uh you know if you're a shareholder of paypal right now you're rightfully asking questions so yeah. it would not shock me if the executives as a ceo if, if they have some sort some sort of way uh to deliver some earnings that are positive or some guidance that is positive um KT saying Square, yeah, Square, Square and PayPal typically trade together. Um, let's check when. Uh, oh, Square doesn't report till February twenty fourth. <coughs> interesting. So, so uh, Square, of course, block now. Pull up the chart. Very, very similar to PayPal, right? Uh, you have highs back here in the summer, drawn all the way back down. Square, of course, got this kind of bearish headline last week that Apple would uh, start looking at, at how to, you know, 
do some of the payments directly on an iPhone that typically have only been done in Square in the past. So um, trying to... You know what? Let's do let's do something though. What about a, a straddle or a strangle on on PayPal, where all we're doing is betting for a, a big movement either way, either on the downside or the upside. All right. Let's see if anyone. Um, KT, oh, I know all about Square being founder-led. I went to the same high school as him. Jim McKelvey, Ledoux Horton Watkins, high school graduate, probably in about the year 2000. Um, he actually came and spoke uh, spoke to my high school during homecoming one year when I was a sophomore in high school. I was 15 years old. I was about nine years ago. So at the time, I don't even think Square was, I mean, Square was a big company, but it wasn't huge or anything. Uh, but he came and spoke to us and actually... Uh, this this is just a quick aside, and we'll get back to some stocks. I was very pleasantly surprised when he spoke to us because I was always uh, very interested in like English class as a kid. Was on our school newspaper. Ended up going to journalism school for college. Um, that's kind of how I found myself here. Because here at Benzinga, we're a media company. I get to write articles, do podcasts, help out on here. But it was a perfect fit because I was, you know, naturally drawn to and interested in investing, but also on the media side. So Benzinga was a perfect fit for me. But when I was in high school, I wasn't that stoked about um, McKelvey speaking to us because I was like, oh, it's this Silicon Valley tech guy. He's going to tell us, oh, everyone should go out and learn how to code and uh, do all this computer stuff that I wasn't as interested in. But he actually said the opposite. He basically talked for his whole speech about communication um, and how important communication is no matter what field you're going into, whether it's you know, technology, whether it's business, whether it's fintech. Uh, you know, you got to learn how to communicate. So he Im implored everyone to, you know, read, write. And so I loved it. Um, of course, I, I do wish I would have learned how to code as well, but I'm working on that now. Um, but yeah, Jim McKelvey, great leader of Square, also on the board of Twitter, I believe. Jack Dorsey is also from St. Louis, but did not um, go to the same high school I did. Um, but I believe, you know, they're buddies. They're, they're good friends. Um, yeah. Gallup, Gallup, Christian. There. Well, I don't know if Musk was. So Musk had a different. Musk had a different website, like X something that merged with PayPal, and then um, PayPal essentially ended up pushing Elon Musk out. Like Elon Musk was like on a flight, and while he was in the air, the board had like a secret meeting and pushed Musk out. Um, so yeah, there's some definitely interesting background there with with paypal and musk um but yeah let's see let's see if there's any other tickers in the chat that anyone finds interesting right now. i guess while we're talking about elon musk let's let's check in on tesla because tesla reported earnings uh either last week or the week before and they were actually pretty good but the stock traded lower um what i think is interesting about tesla here is you can kind of draw this trend line, right? From the bottom of the pandemic, um, you can see right here, uh, and this isn't gonna be perfect. What I wanna do is like go through here. Right here, you can see how this trend line was like very established and the stock essentially 
either bounced off of it or, or came back up to it. Um, and then it got overextended, came back down to the trend line, got overextended, came back down to the trend line, dropped below the trend line, and has now come back up to the trend line. Uh, so <laughs> it's pretty much right in line with it right now. So I, I, I'm kind of just trading Tesla based on this line. Saying, and again, it's, uh, you know, I didn't spend time to like make it like perfectly match up. But essentially every time, you know, even, even zooming in back here, every time, you know, we got overextended, came back down, got overextended, came back down. Got way overextended, came back down. Got below the trend line, came back up. Got overextended, came back down. Over, you know, overextended, came back down. Drop below the trend line, came back up. Um, so anytime, I'm just waiting to see next time Tesla either gets way below or way above this trend line, just trading it back to it because it's kind of been following, uh, you know, and right here, it was trading very well. It was trading just in this space uh, for, for six months from May 2021 to November 2021 all in that range so yeah te tesla al always been setting up for nice trades yeah so so this is the deal with the devil yeah f and zen i i like that idea i like um i like finding companies that are still founder-led right another one snapchat evan spiegel um I, I was playing snapchat down here right snapchat got a little oversold at, at low at, at less than 30 dollars a share um snapchat reports earnings on thursday though so if you're looking to get into snapchat long term i would say wait till after earnings because let's take a look at snapchat's chart this huge gap down that we had was from a from a bad earnings report and Snapchat's CEO basically said, yeah, Apple's new uh, new privacy measures are, are going to be a big problem for us. So we saw Snapchat stock go from about $75, $80 a share, immediately drop down to 60 and then went from 60 all the way, dropped another 50%, down to 30 I mean, this is a stock that if Snapchat reports a good report on, on Thursday, I mean, the stock could go up 20 30% in one night. All right, I see someone go throwing out CRM. We'll go ahead, take a look at CRM. We'll take a look at Salesforce real quick. Um, I think Salesforce is really interesting right now because I forget who I was talking to, but I was talking to someone about Asana, which is another stock that I like. Um, and, and they basically said they like they like Salesforce more than Asana right now. It might have been Options Mike last week. Um, but CRM, right? Different tech stocks, same story. Three hundred dollars a couple months ago, all the way down to two hundred. Lost 30, 30, 30, around thirty percent of its market share in in less than two months. Uh, may have got a little oversold. Let's go ahead and, and take a look at. I want to see their income statement. So, yeah, I mean, you're seeing good quarter over quarter over quarter gross profit growth. Look how consistent this is. All right, this is what I like about CRM right here. Four billion a few quarters ago. Four point three billion. Uh, Four point four billion. Okay, so you didn't get a lot of growth right there, but still some growth. And then that same like point three billion dollar growth again. Four point seven. That same point three. So if Salesforce can keep up that 
uh, quarter over quarter growth. I mean, there's a lot to like there. Uh, we talked about DocuSign as well. I see all these kind of SaaS plays, software as a service plays in the same light. Um, DocuSign, right? When we take a look at DocuSign's revenue, gross profit, 285, 329, 363, 398, four. I mean, this is just consistent growth. That's what I like. Where's um? Yeah, I mean. So there's some really good things like about DocuSign's uh, cash flow right here as well. All right, so I'll throw this ask out there to, to the chat. Yeah, uh, sorry about that. Let me try to make it larger so we can read some of these numbers. Um, so here's what I was looking at with, with DocuSign, right? Basically, gross profit is in this, you know, highlighted right here. Gross profit grew from 285 to 430. But what's even greater than that is looking at how consistent this growth is quarter over quarter, right? You have 285, 329, 363, 398. 430. Um, so there's some there's some good there's some good quarter over quarter growth there in DocuSign. Um, I want to I'm going to ask this out there in the chat. If you would rather be a buyer of CRM, Asana or DocuSign right now. Again, not all the companies are are in the same exact space, right? Salesforce and Asana are a little bit more similar just as far as kind of workplace. Well, I don't know. I mean, DocuSign's obviously a workplace SaaS play as well. Um, but you have to buy one of them right now. CRM, Asana, DocuSign, which one are you buying and why? Yeah, Happy Muhammad. Uh, very interesting story there with Elon. He came in. He was not a founder, but in part of the deal they signed, uh, he made it to where he would have to be referred to as a founder by Tesla. So anytime Tesla talked about its founders, that, that was like part of a, a, a caveat or a, a part of the contract they signed was that even though he wasn't a founder, Tesla would have to refer to him as a, as a, as a founder legally. All right, so we have a very mixed bag here. We've got a lot. Of, I, think we, I've, I think I've seen more DocuSigns. Um, CRM though, some some votes for Salesforce. KT saying Asana. I like. I'll, I'll say this: out of the three, I like Asana the most from a growth perspective, uh, for a potential to grow the most. I like DocuSign the most as a safer play because it is more established than than some of the other. Um, companies. And again, I, and I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I know I pointed this out on the show the other day. If you take a look at where DocuSign stock was trading at before the COVID crash, right at $90 a share. Um, and now it's at 127. So that's a little bit more than 30, 30% increase, 90 bucks to 127. But that's over two years. And in those two years, DocuSign's revenue and gross profit has grown more than 100%. Or sorry, closer to 
than to 30%. So wouldn't you want to see that reflection in its stock price, which we did see for a long time. We did see that reflection in its stock price. Um, but then, of course, a, a couple quarters ago, you got that bad earnings report with that huge gap down from about 240 all the way down to like 140. I mean, that was ugly. DocuSign's stock crashed about 30% like in one day. I disagree, KT. I think DocuSign has a great moat. I mean, DocuSign, the DocuSign as a verb has become, uh, you know, it's become a verb in the business world. It's like, hey, can you DocuSign this? Hey, can you Google this? There are other players out there. There's a there's a software, HelloSign, that offers something similar to DocuSign. There, Adobe offers a, uh, a Adobe offers a, a similar service, but I mean, I think DocuSign is by clearing away the winner, clearing away the leader in this space. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. I don't know. All right. All right. I mean, we, we can agree to disagree. There, there are other options out there to electronically sign something that aren't, aren't DocuSign. Um, but I think DocuSign's... I, I still think DocuSign has, has kind of the majority of the market share in that industry. Um, they've got the first player advantage. We'll see. At some point, too, I mean, it becomes... I'm not going to call it a value play, but at some point there's value in the stock um, too. Adobe. I do like Adobe. I mean, I'm, I'm so bull. I'm super bullish Adobe. Don't get me wrong. I also like Salesforce, um, but DocuSign, that is one of my, one of my plays so far this year has been DocuSign. Um, keep looking. We saw, we saw Chevron at, at all time highs earlier today. Again, I, I, if you're trying to pl play the recent moves in oil and gas, Chevron does have a very nice dividend. I mean, a lot of declining leader. Okay, Casey. I'm, I'm back, AB. What up? Did you miss me? I did miss you. Oh, boy. All right. I'm here just in the nick of time. Sorry, what I interrupt? Uh, we talked about how Elon Musk is, was not really a founder of Tesla. <laughs> I don't... That's I think true. he was really a founder of PayPal, but maybe... I, I don't know. There's some, there's some story with him. I think so. He wanted to call it something else. Yeah, it was it was like a X, weird name, yeah, right? Like X.com or something. <laughs> um, and they basically pushed Elon out. But I don't even know if he was a real founder of that company either. If he just kind of came in. Um, we ta we talked about. I gave the ask out there to the audience. Oh, that's another good one, John. I gave the ask out there. If you had to own one of these SaaS plays, Salesforce, Asana, or DocuSign, which one would it be? Oh, and we had. That's easy. Well, which one would you go? Salesforce. Okay. Wait, was that the consensus? Um, CRM and DocuSign had the most. 
answers. Okay. Um, but we had a nice little argument in the chat versus does DocuSign still have an advantage? Are they losing their kind of like we, you know, there are other services out there that offer you the same service between Adobe, HelloSign. I still think they have some good footing in that market, but who knows? Know. Um, okay, we talk a lot about options, strategies on this show, and uh, our next guest can speak to that. Uh, his name is Jay Pestricelli. He is the CEO of Zega Financial. Uh, they have an ETF, the Zega buy and hedge ETF. And this is one of the many reasons, there are many, this is one of the reasons why I love ETF so much is it's just a wrapper. It's just a wrapper that you can do crazy stuff within. You could track an index if you want. That's boring, but it's cool. You can do a, a call option strategy like, like Jay's doing. You can use leverage. You can own forex and own cryptocurrencies and do all sorts of crazy things so uh jay can speak to to that wrapper you know how this etf works it, it's a buy and hedge etf it's not buy and hold you might like this one aaron it's buy and hedge buy and hedge so let's put jay on the show right now and let's give him uh our, our special intro since unlike our last guest he uh was able to, to join us today Jay, welcome to Benzinga Live. How are we doing? Doing great. Love the intro. Thank you for giving me the full fanfare there. Did I get your last name right? You nailed it, man. Pastricelli. You got Pastor it. Pastricelli? Okay, great. Yeah. Um, so, Jay, uh, let's just get your overall market thoughts here uh, on where on where you stand. Now, we're coming off uh, what, what, what was a looking like it was going to be a really bad month ended up being a little bit less bad of a month in the last couple of days there but uh sort of a buy everything rally but what is your overall take right now as to, as, to, as far as where we stand yeah you know long term you know long term is different for everybody but let's just say for this right. year we're yeah. still bullish on the market all the reasons why the market went up last year still exist relatively low interest rates you know, record corporate profits, all those things that push the market to new highs still exist. None of that has changed yet, but we're going to have a little volatility along the way. Uh, you know, we like to say the Fed really misstepped last Wednesday when they talked about, you know, just there's a lot of room to raise rates. There's a lot of, a lot of work that they're willing to do, and that's not always positive for the stock market. So we think, well, overall, a bullish year, an up year, it's going to be choppy along the way. And you're going to get okay. months like we had uh, in, in January where you'll see a, a correction. What did we see? Top to bottom, 12% pullback in the S&P. You know, that's, that is not that unusual. But I just think, you know, this environment, we haven't seen those in a while. So I think we'll probably, you know, have more of that, but net, net up for the year. All right. So would that make now a good time i'm gonna tee you up here jay that make now a good time for a, a type of a buy and hedge strategy because i can't imagine buying hedge works well when we're going straight up but um we're not going straight up right now so well you know i guess it all depends what you're trying to do with that portion of your portfolio for us you know it's 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 why would you hedge at all right like hey if the markets are just going to go up just be long and let it ride um, for us, the answer is, well, not everybody has the time frame to just buy and, you know, let stuff go or try to time the market. For us, uh, hedging is actually this is going to be a strong year 
for hedging strategies. You know, thank you for mentioning the ETF, Z-Hedge. We call it Z-Hedge, Z-H-D-G. Z-Hedge is an actively managed uh, ETF. Like you said, it's a wrapper, right? You could do a lot of different things in it. Um, for us, we're mimicking one of our separately managed account strategies that we've been running for, uh, you know, for eight years. Uh, our buy and hedge strategy is something that we've been uh, doing since we started our firm. So we just, we put it in a wrapper, we put it in an ETF. We needed to make it more accessible to the public versus just nice. having a direct relationship with a firm like us. So to answer your question directly, is this a good time to hedge? We always think it's a good time to hedge. And there's two <laughs> reasons why. The, the first one is it actually takes market timing out of the uh, out of your hands. You don't need to do it if you're able to put on positions that um, will adjust along with the market conditions, right? So, you know, you look at a year like last year or look at a year like the year before, um, when the market's running, you know, the strategy will appreciate with the market, captures 70, 75% of the upside, and will constantly adjust the hedges, you know, kind of, we like to say, roll them up as we go, locking in gains along the way. But you don't know when you're going to have one of these, you know, uh, weeks of nastiness. And when that happens, it actually lets you become a little opportunistic. And when you get to avoid some of the downside, you could then be active and put money to work that didn't lose money while well, you get to buy the market at a discount. So for us, a year like this is really an ideal time to hedge, but we're not against it even in years like 2017 when there's almost no volatility. Okay, so you mentioned that this ETF really started as a separate, ma separately managed account. You were providing this this strategy to to your clients, and you're now bring you know the ETF now brings it you know public. But um, I want to know how how people use this strategy, this buying hedge. You know, you're owning uh, you know long term uh, call options, uh, and you're owning actually no, maybe just walk through the structure first, and then and then I want to know how someone like me or anyone can use this. Yeah, for sure. So the structure of the strategy does use long calls as stock replacement. And we do that because it allows us to define how much risk we're going to take. So for example, we'll use eight to 10% of a portfolio that makes it feel like we're 100% invested through the use of long calls. And so that's why we like to say from a market perspective, we're only risking eight to 10%, right? We're only putting at risk uh, an amount that we're willing to lose. And for us, we like that 8 to 10% level just because historically that seems to be uh, uh, where things, if they get really bad, they get bad after the 8 to 10% level. So we'll limit our risk to 8 to 10%. That's a great slide right there. And the rest of the portfolio we're going to put together with some way to pay for the calls, right? Calls aren't free. There's time decay and options. Uh, and so how do you offset that? And so for us, we look for, you know, the safest yield bearing portfolio we build today, we're using hedged short duration high yield makes us about three and a half percent after the protection. And that helps offset some of the cost of the call. So, you know, the great thing about this, and when you look at that pie chart that you got there, if the market tanks, right, the most that I have risk from an equity perspective is that eight to 10% of the call. So when you look at like a year of 2020, when COVID, you know, caused the market to drop down 34%, high to low, you know, our calls stopped losing money because, you know, they virtually were done, right, in a short period of time. So, you know, the portfolios end up being a lot more buoyant in those uh, declining markets because we only risk the 8 to 10%. So it's a way to, you know, structure yeah. your exposure and, you know, mathematically limit how much you're putting at risk. So wait, the yield bearing positions, 
those are bonds. Those are not necessarily today. They're bonds. Yeah, today, today they're bonds. Today, today they're bonds. Well, what what about yesterday? They could be something else. In the past, we've used <laughs> things like what do you tell me? They want what you want it to be. So they could be something like uh, uh, we've used preferred stock. Uh, okay. Again, hedged. We've used utilities hedged. Right. Everything Ooh. we do there is we're limiting the risk. Right. So we know that folks choose this strategy because they're interested in managing risk, but still capturing the upside. So you'd never want that yield bearing portion of the portfolio to blow you up. You want to have protection on that too. And so we're always looking, you know, where can we find the safest three to 4% of revenue? And by the way, these days, that's not so easy to do in a safe manner, right? Uh, you look where the treasuries are. And there have been times where we've used treasuries, not again, not today, but at other periods. So we'll constantly look for the best way to manage that risk yeah. and generate, you know, a repeatable and expectable yield that makes sense against our long calls. I, I'm just trying to think of like the risks of this. And so like the, so you, as far as the equity exposure, you can have more than the 10, eight to 10% because if you're using a dividend paying instrument or a preferred stock, that's still equity. So like your equity, the equity exposure could be greater. Yep, you could, you could, I'll say you could double dip on it. You're absolutely right. Yeah. And in, uh, you know, right now, let's just take the high yield, for example, right? High yield's having a rough year, rough four months, just like all bonds are having, but it's not bad, right? It's still, it's performing yeah. against its yield. It's pretty neutral. But you're right. If there ends up being a rebound in the high yield market, yeah, we'll get the stock appreciation and the high yield appreciation. And again, it's wherever we think we can get that three to 4%. We may peel that off if we hit our if we hit our goals early on that. True. All right, I, I love this because managed. Well, yeah, that's yeah, that, that's why <laughs> you actively right. manage it. Um, yeah. I, I love this because you know no strategy is perfect. Everything it has a has a trade off. Uh, you know there are pros and cons to each, and so I, I think I think this slide really gets to that is is what you, what you're getting and what you're not getting. But again, to going back to my question before, how are investors your investors using this strategy uh and again whether it's use whether it's using the the etf or doing it in more of a um bespoke way um like is, is this is this a small a small piece of their portfolio are, are are we talking about like people replacing entire segments where where once they may have had uh cash or bonds and now they now they have this i i, I don't know yeah, no, that's that's a great question. So in this environment, let's take the last 12 months, we've probably doubled the amount of assets we have in this strategy between the ETF and our separately managed accounts because advisors and individuals are using it as, as a replacement of a standard 60-40 portfolio. So first of all, if you think about what is the 60-40 portfolio being used for, it's that safe money, you know, not taking all that much risk, maybe a moderate or moderately conservative allocation. So this is not meant to beat the market, right? This 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 strategy is not the thing that's designed to outperform. We we've got other stuff for that, but this is more of a core piece that investors and advisors will use as a means of generating kind of annual goals of six, seven, eight percent a year. When you want to do something like that, this falls into that category. Now, today, a 60-40 portfolio carries a ton of risk on both sides of it, right? We just talked about that the stock percentage at 60% has all kinds of volatility in it. But the 40% is probably not going to be constructive for a few years, right? Bonds are going to be difficult to generate any kind of growth in, even if you're using an aggregate bond index, 
uh, uh, or either investment grade, right? Those are still going to be tough in a in a rising rate environment. And so, for us, we've seen a lot of investors and advisors rotate into a buy and hedge portfolio that limits the bond risk through hedges, still exposes you to the growth of the stock market because you have all these positive forces behind you in stocks. Even inflation is positive for stocks over time. So all of those things allow you to be in the market, be invested. But again, goal-based investors, six, seven, eight percent target. Those are the kind of people that are allocating to this strategy. Serious question, Jay. Anybody, does anybody under the age of like 65 actually have a 60-40 portfolio? Yeah, uh, yeah, I should, but I don't think under the age of 50. So okay. you know, when you're, okay. you're coming up, you know, I was close. You're, listen, I don't think it was a bad question, right? I wouldn't yeah. necessarily recommend you know a large allocation of buy and hedge to someone that's in their 40s because they should be more aggressive. Like I said, there's other ways to create growth, even in a protected way, but not not this, right? This is for that investor that is looking to kind of lock down a portion of their portfolio in a moderate risk, but still have regular growth. And we do see a lot of investors like 55, 60 that know they've got less than 10 years to retirement and they need growth, right? They don't have enough yeah. yet, but you can't go to bonds. You can't use a target date and uh, fund because that bond portion is just going to have you underperform. And so that's why we've seen that rotation, you know, a dramatic rotation to the strategy over the last 12 months. We expect to continue to to continue for the next two years, actually, as we're going through the, the you know, the rate cycle that we expect. So, so when you say the assets in, in ZHDG have doubled in the last year, I frankly do not know what to make of that. Is that a is is that. That's good for you, but what does that say about the rest of us? I mean, what does that say about people think about this market? Well, um, and I would yeah, it's the overall strategy, right? The, the, as you see, right, the ETF is just launched in uh, July, right? So that went from sure. zero. I think we we're past 100 million in the in the in the fund now. But the the right the idea that investors are moving to something that is going to take some volatility out of the market, where you can't use you know modern portfolio theory, which isn't so modern anymore, right? It's about 70 years old. It was developed yeah. in the 50s. Like that's got to change. And so moving to an options-based strategy um, can make a lot of sense when you can use options to mathematically define the risk. Yeah. Um, so so again, you know, the ETF, as you said, it launched in July, I guess, right? July last July 7th, year. yeah. Right. So, okay, congrats on the launch. It seems like, you know, it's been, it's been a good... It's been a good first six months uh, in terms of assets, which is, of course, half more than half the battle when, when launching an ETF. Sure. Um, I, I guess just like look, looking ahead, you know, Jay, what what is your um, what, what what is the biggest question that you're asked from advisors or potential investors right right now, whether it's regards to the the strategy or, or or not? I mean, like, what what's the what's the biggest question that you're getting asked the most right now? Yeah, the, the, the question that we get almost all the time is, okay, this sounds pretty good. Like you're limiting my loss to eight to 10%. All right, I'm gonna get some growth. Like when when does it not work? Like when is, yeah. when is the downside on this kind of a strategy? And the answer is, I think we probably gave you a slide as kind of the performance of the market over time. There's a couple of histograms, uh, histogram chart if you see it there, that about 10% of the time in a flat market, being hedged wasn't worth doing. So what do I mean by that? So let's say we're all, uh, we're, 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 you know, as Americans, we understand how insurance works. 
Uh, we understand that, uh, you know, you have to pay for protection, but sometimes you don't use that protection. Right. And, you mm -hmm. know, but you still have a little damage. So the example I like to give all the time is let's say you got car insurance, you got a thousand dollar deductible and you ding a fender for 500 bucks. Well, you paid your insurance, you didn't use it, but you got to pay 500 bucks to fix the car. Right. That kind of environment can be a tough environment for uh, uh, for hedging because there's a cost, right? Like in you saw, as you saw on the, the trade-off slide, there's a cost to hedge. And so if you yeah. don't get the market appreciation to make it worth it, you're going to have that conversation. But the, benefit, the, the thing about it is that scenario happens one out of 10 years where the market's kind of flat to down 5%. If you take a look over the last 100 years. So it's, it's not often that it happens that you get a flat market like that and the cost of hedging ends up being a little more evident. Um, for, but the other times, uh, you know, you'll find that people are uh, going to be happy with, with hedging. Either you're meeting your goals because the market's up 15% and you're up 12. Great. That's awesome. I meet, met my goals of 6, 7, 8%. Or the market's really, really down. And even though you're down 8 to 10%, the market's down 25, 30 you get to be opportunistic and you avoided the big loss. And that's the whole reason for hedging in the first place. So, you know, you get that, you know, that short period of time where it works. The slide that you have up right now is interesting because it helps us understand why being hedged allows you to stay in the markets, right? So, so what do I mean by that? So if you can stay hedged and you don't have to time the market and miss the best days of the year, you'll end up being invested all the time and not having to, you know, time your entries and exits. As you guys probably know, the best days of the year typically follow what? The worst days, days of, the, of year, the year, right? And so, you know, when, when, you, when you're thinking, and guess what? That's when everybody's selling, right? The panic kicks in. You got a down four, down 5% day. Everyone goes, well, I got to get out of this. That's just about enough. It's the day of capitulation, and you get the market rebound, right? I mean, we're starting to see that between Friday and Monday of this week alone, right? That Friday last week, Monday this week, that okay, maybe it bottomed out. I don't know if it bottomed out at all or not, but it's coming after the decline. And so as an investor, the strategy lets you stay in and not, you know, end up losing money because the markets are, you know, gonna, gonna yeah, make you feel I, silly for timing them. I think the biggest thing here is with regards to the strategy, this, this buying hedges, it really depends. You got to know what you want, right? If you want to crush the market, this is not for you. If you want to destroy the index, you want to be all go all Kathy Wood on our ass and crush us. Yeah, not for you. You know, um, you know, you, you, you know what you're signing up for. But again, uh, thank you, Jay, for even bringing this product to market. Uh, again, as I said off the top, this is why I love ETS is there is room to be creative with things like this um, and strategies that were once reserved for just the institutional investors are now available to literally anyone with a brokerage account. Uh, and that's thanks to uh, people like you. So Jay Prestichelli, the CEO of Zega Financial, he's got the, uh, the ZHDG ETF. Uh, Jay, it's been a pleasure. Uh, would love to have you back on again sometime and we can talk more about markets and uh, buying and hedging. Thanks, guys. It was great being here. Appreciate the time. All right. Have a good one. Have Jay. a good one. Uh, hey, did... Uh, well, I was well, I was out there for a moment. You didn't play Wordle yet, did you? Or I, I've already played today. Played me too. Oh I, wait, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. I did not play today. We could I, do my I got home like so late last night. What time did you get home? I was supposed to land at twelve thirty a.m. Didn't land till like one thirty. 
Ooh. Didn't get home till like two thirty. Wow. Um, wow. But, but played the wordle. I think like on the plane while we were waiting for it to unboard. Wow. Like one thirty. I I booked a red eye flight, uh, the other over the weekend. Uh, I'm going to Vegas in April, and I'm flying back. Skin the Sunday red eye. It's gonna be fun. Okay. But anyway. Hey, um, Christian made a comment on the chat that we were doing very bad on our likes today. He's right. 94 likes. Let's get at least to 100. If you missed my announcement at the top of the show, don't go anywhere after Benzinga Live. We've got the roadmap coming up live today, as they are every Tuesday at 2 o'clock. Uh, they're talking to one of the largest holders of Board 8 Yacht Club NFTs. This guy owns like 30-some-odd board at Yacht Clubs. It's ridiculous. I don't even know how much he's worth, but I know it's more than me. Stay tuned. YouTube.com slash Benzinga. 2 p.m. Eastern Time. That's in 10 minutes. Don't touch that dial as if TV still had dials and as if you know, you were even watching on your TV, which I know you're not. Hey, maybe some of you are. Apple TV. I don't know. Um Cues are pretty flat right now. I think everything. I think I think a lot of these, uh, you know, your Microsofts, your Apples. I think they might move. Like, if, I think if Google crushes it tonight, we we could see tech have a. The problem is they 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 already reported, right? A like Apple and Microsoft and Netflix, they they took when when they reported, they took the fangs with them. I, I don't know that it'll happen again now that they the bulk of them already reported. We get Amazon, of course, on Thursday. But I okay. But with Google and Amazon, I think the idea is if they say they do report great earnings and the stocks are moving higher, then it's just kind of bullish for the overall big tech in general, yeah. saying yeah. that like oh buyers are coming in, they don't mind buying at these yeah. you know valuations. And for, with Amazon, because it's it's the cloud thing, right? So and I don't I don't even remember what in Microsoft's cloud. I'm sure the cloud segment was. Azure? Actually, no, it, it was growing. Cause it was it's, growing. Yeah. 40% quarter over quarter. 40% quarter over quarter? Yep. I believe. We're in the wrong business. Holy damn. That's ridiculous. Yeah, anyway. I mean, that was the smartest thing Microsoft done in the past 20 years is, is throw some serious money and resources behind oh their cloud gosh, computing. 40%. That's ridiculous. Azure is just a monster, and it doesn't even come close to touching Amazon's as we saw uh, on that oh, chart. Shoot, there's one more stock we didn't talk about today that I wanted to. Which uh, I because I, I wrote it down at the, at, before we went live today. Dutch Brothers. B R O S is up A L O T. That spells a lot. It's up a lot today. Why is Dutch Brothers of uh up 12% right now? Do we have any news on Bros? They got some love on CNBC, so no. Wait, this is funny. So when you look at a stock on Robinhood, it gives you a little, it says people also own. Uh, this list is based on the portfolios of people on Robinhood who own bros. I love that. It's that, not an investment op recommendation. So this is like real data, like people that give, own bros. Give it to me. I want you to try to guess. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. This is a fun game. Okay, people on Robinhood that who, own bros. who own bros own these four stocks. What, what four stocks do they also own? I'm I'm not I'm, I'm going to say one of them is not Starbucks. Correct. Okay. Um is it GameStop? No. Shoot. It's not GameStop or AMC. Okay. 
This is a really fun game. We should do this game every day. Yeah, we should. <laughs> people we'll call it people also own. People also own. Oh my gosh. Um this is hard. <laughs> um Oh gosh. Apple. Nope. Oh my gosh. I need um, to find McDonald's. Nope. Hey, uh, you got it. This is hard, man. You, right. you got to give me some hints. This is uh, 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 okay. Two out of the four. Wait, Tesla? No. And Palin Mike says Palantir. Palantir is a great guess. That would have been my first guess, but it's not Palantir. All right, you got to give out us, of the four. Give us some hints. Two here. out of the four are in the uh, uh, automotive space. Two out of the four. GM and Ford. No, one Ford is in there. All right. Rivian. Yep, Ford and Rivian. Okay. <laughs> um, all right, then you've got one that is a brokerage, and then one is a video game company. And I also saw this one in so, the chat. SoFi? No. Okay, then Robinhood. Yep. <laughs> so people that own bros also own Rivian, Ford, Robinhood, and... Wait, well, I'm sorry, what was, the, was there a hint? I, f- I forget the last one. The last one, one was, a, a vid- it was a video game company. I was also saw it in the chat. Roblox. Yep. Hey! All right. I love this data. I love this information. So people that own bros own Rivian, Roblox, Ford, and Robinhood. What what can we say about these people? <laughs> They're betting on the future. They're betting on the future of For co- Rivian and Roblox and Ford. Self-driving coffee delivery machines. Free trades. Free trades while you drink a very sugary coffee. Uh, in your yes. self-driving Rivian yeah. that's also owned by Ford. Yeah. There you oh, go. Man. That's your connection to all of them. This is a fun segment. We, let, let's make a, a, a point of doing this segment often. What else do they own? I'm going to have a graphic made. Um, exactly, Christian. That's a nice, diverse portfolio. Not really. Dude, but. Give me one other stock, and we'll, we'll do this on it real quick. Okay, okay, curious. okay. This is fun. Um, let's do... Um, uh, here, let me go to the, uh, the the calendar for tonight uh, for inspiration. You you want you want to do AMD? Let's do AMD. All right, all right. We're gonna do AMD because they they're on the calendar and everyone likes AMD. All right, people that own all people that own AMD also people own. also own Nvidia. Yep. Okay, that was easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, people also own Apple. Nope. Shoot. Um. Tesla. Nope. Really? Wow. Really? They're know. all like tangently related to AMD. I'll give you that. Yeah. All right. Is it like uh? Is, is it is it like a Qualcomm? That's no one owns Qualcomm. It's boring. Close. Um. Microsoft? Yep. Okay, Christian. Nvidia, Microsoft. Christian got we got Nvidia, we got Microsoft. Uh AMAT? Applied Materials? Nope. Oh, that's a little that's a little obscure. I feel like. What, what about like Taiwan Semi? Yep. Really? Got three out of the four. TSM. TSM, MSFT. Oh, and- Intel, Greek S. Yep. Good good job. Voodoo and Saz done. Nvidia, Microsoft, Taiwan, and Intel. So wow. they're just bullish the whole computer <laughs> chip space. Can we find out more about this data? I want to know, like, I, you know, I don't expect Robinhood to give away the secret sauce, but I want to know more about this data. Um, th- th- that's cool stuff. It is cool. Yeah. I'm glad we found that. That will be a fun game that we can play. Uh, and I I used to always love sharing with you guys the list of trending stocks, the most searched stocks on Benzinga Pro. It was an internal tool, but the tool is broken. 
and it hasn't been fixed yet. So I'm bugging the developers to fix the tool so I can show share with you all the most searched stocks on Benzinga Pro. Um, anyway, we're going to wrap because why? The roadmap is live next with an owner of all of the board at Yacht Clubs. Not all of them, but Not like all. 35 of them, which is a lot. A lot. Frankly. A lot of money. A lot of money. Hi, y'all. We'll right. be back tomorrow, 11.30 a.m. Eastern. Remember this afternoon, if you guys are interested in the earnings, we will be restreaming both Google and AMD's earnings here on the Benzinga channel. Going to go ahead and leave you all for the day. See you all tomorrow. Till then, happy trading. Stay green, everyone. Who's ending the show? Do it! I guess I'm ending the show. Just do it! Just do it. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.